Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, January 17th. That means it's time for the Power Hour. We are here live. We've got the team with us from Pittsburgh Power. We'll hear from them, and then we'll get to your calls and questions. We're going to open the phone lines up right now, so start dialing. If you have a question about maintenance, anything goes, engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, emissions, electronics, electric vehicles, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and join us. 855-950-3835. We're going to hear from uh, Pittsburgh Power, then we'll get to your calls and questions. So line them up. Bruce, looks like you're up first this week. Welcome back. Well, thank you, Kevin. As always, it's our pleasure. What uh, What's on your mind this week? Well, a guy just called and was speaking to Leroy and said, Bruce talks about cleaning the turbine housing on the turbochargers. And he heard me say that the years ago, we were supposed to do it every 30,000 miles. It's not the turbine housing. It's the compressor housing. The turbine housing is the exhaust side. The compressor housing is the fresh air side, the aluminum side the part that compresses the air and sends it on into the charge air cooler then into the engine. And one way to remember this is think about if you've ever toured the Hoover Dam and you've gone down to where the big generators are that make electricity. They are turbines because the water is like the exhaust in a diesel engine. The water is coming down a chute, going into the snail shell and spinning the turbine which in turn turns the armature that makes electricity. So if you get turbine housing and compressor housing mixed up, always think of the hydroelectric dams. They are turbines. So it's the compressor housing you're supposed to take off. I only know one guy that does it. That's Mike Lane out of Ogden, Utah, and he takes his off once a year and cleans it and polishes it. And, uh, you gain a couple more pound of boost and you gain it quicker and you get to see just how much dirt is coming past the air filter. And to do that, you need a 716th 3H drive deep well socket. You've got a couple clamps to remove and if the compressor housing doesn't come straight off in your hands, take one of those plastic mallets and tap on it. Uh, maybe a burn dramatic torch and just heat it up a little bit, but you got to bring it straight forward towards the radiator and to get it away from the compressor wheel. And that's all you need is that the seven sixteenth deep well socket. Got it. Okay. All right. Next. I know Pete talked about line of protrusion last week. And we're going to just real quick on this. When you're taking your engine in somewhere to be rebuilt, you should tell them what line of protrusion you want. It's your engine. And you want to take the stock line of protrusion. If it's one to three, you want to add one thousandths and make it four. If it's three to six, add one and make it seven. 
you tell the mechanic and the shop foreman what you want, and you want to see the records, and you might actually want to be there whenever they're setting liner protrusion to make sure they're telling you the truth. And do yourself a favor. Take one of our new dampers and balancers with you and have them put it on the engine. They'll probably tell you that we never change those. Just insist. It's your engine. Take our damper and balancer. That way you get one made in the USA. If you buy an OEM, you get one either from China or India. And I know we've talked about this, but you do get new listeners, Kevin, and, and a lot of them don't remember this. Yeah, now, I agree. Okay. We got an email from a guy. Been trucking for 51 years. Bought a new Volvo D16 600 horsepower. He even talked to Jane Gates about the catalyst, but he refused to buy it because of the price. He did make it 350,000 miles until the soot caught up to him, and now his sensors are going bad. So he bought a gallon of catalyst. It took two days for all the check engine lights to go out and the sensors to work properly. Now he's running the max mileage catalyst. So wasn't there something called pay me now or pay me later when it comes to maintenance? Yeah, there is. Usually when you pay later, it ends up being a bigger bill. That's right. And, and I can tell you from the phone calls that we get, we do not have anybody that they listen to this radio show having emission problems. I mean, it's zero. The only time we get somebody to call that has emission problems is they don't listen to this power hour. They don't read my magazine articles. They don't read the website, and they know nothing about the catalyst. Those are the only people that we have that call that are having the issues. You know, Bruce, it's been uh, it's been over a decade. We've been talking about this. We've been through lots of different solutions. It feels like we finally got it under control. A couple options here, either spec and run the trucks right, uh, and a lot of trucks just not even possible to do that. You don't have the right driveline setups or use the catalyst, and we have eliminated a lot of these problems. Do you know that we may have another round of emission standards coming again? Like they're not done with this yet. <laughs> How clean is clean? I, my 2016 Ram can idle for hours in the garage and it's cleaner than my 2018 you, Volvo. You know something else I, I read the somewhere? The, the car, a gasoline car. The other so, day. How, how clean is clean? Uh, yeah. I, I read something the other day, and it wasn't, I think it might have even been in a novel. I'm not sure. But I need to go follow up on this, because I've never heard this anywhere else. And I've heard that it's it's getting more difficult. This is a weird topic, but it's getting more difficult to commit suicide with a vehicle in the garage, because they're not producing as much carbon dioxide, and we're filtering everything so much. I don't know if that's true or not. Wow. Well, we don't need to try that. No. No, I'll, I'll go find some research. We're not going to test this one. Right. 
And Mike Lane sent me something. Wyoming wants to phase out the sale of electric vehicles by 2035 <laughs> to ensure the stability of the oil and gas industry. I saw that. That's, uh, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> you know, across the board, I don't want to get too political right now, but across the board, we are starting to see this separation of states in the federal government. We're seeing these more conservative states saying, no, we're just not going to do this stuff. Well, I just read in my sister's house in Florida, um, a bridge was wiped out by Ian going to an island that has 850 people living on it. And Charlotte County told them it's going to be two years before they build the bridge. The people got together and built their own bridge. They got it done in like two weeks or something, didn't they? It was some crazy number. <laughs> did you see that? Yeah, I did. Mm -hmm. I, I, that was they, incredible they, how fast they, they got that bridge back bridge. up. Yeah. Never underestimate the American people. There you go. The American people that have drive. Okay. In our pump room where we build the big cam, fuel pumps, injectors, turbochargers, we are three weeks behind. And so if you can't shut down your big, your big cam for three, big cam or small cam for three weeks, call Pete or myself, make an appointment for like four weeks from now. And we'll tell you the date. And... Let's say that date happens to be February 10th. Have that pump and injector at our place on February the 9th. We will do them on the 10th. They will leave either the afternoon of the 10th or the 11th and be overnighted back to you. But you have to call us to get an order number because if pump and injectors show up and there's no order number, no piece of paper inside with the person's name, address, phone number, what they want done. We assume that it's cores that are being returned. So be careful about that. Got it. And we and uh, somebody's at the door. And we are looking for used Jake brakes for big cams. If anybody has any laying around. All right. And I also had several several calls from people. And hold on a second. <laughs> Bentley's a little wound up this morning. Yeah, yeah. There's people coming in. There's um, they know they have turbo boost gauges. They know what they mean, and they're able to tell me what they had in boost and what they've lost. And then we're able to talk about the problem and most of the time fix the problem over the telephone. And that's the beauty of somebody having a turbo boost gauge. And that's all that I have. All right. Good stuff. Let's, uh, let's find out what's on Pete's mind this morning. Pete, good morning. Welcome back. Morning, Kevin. How are you doing today? Good. What's on your mind this week? Okay, so I don't have much. Uh, what I wanted to bring up was the uh, on the OPS. So the mailing labels that were bought from OPS that are um, UPS labels, our labels are now FedEx, are going to expire uh, March 1st. If you have those, you can't use them anymore. 
And then also the samples um, with had bought oil samples years ago. Um, so there was a date there to expire um, 12 months after you bought them. And we, that wasn't possible. OPS that did that, and we can't change it. So if they have those, unfortunately, you cannot use them. Got it. I'll make sure people are aware of that. Yeah. All right. That is all I have. Wow. Okay. Easy week. Leroy, welcome back. Yeah. So I have a little bit of a funny story um, with some lessons learned. So I had a call a few days ago about a guy with like a 2005 ISX CM870 engine. That's the ISX with just EPR, no DPF or anything. He calls and says, we have it in our top and we just did a rebuild on it and we can't get it started. And they have spent a, a long time trying to get this thing started, right? And it's sort of sickening to hear the number of things that they have tried to replace to get the thing to start. I mean, I'm talking like all new batteries. They put an ECM on it. They put new uh, IFSM actuators on it. And they've done dozens and dozens of tests and they still can't get this thing to start. So they're sort of at a point where they don't know what to do. And they call and say, you know, see if we have any ideas. They've looked around the internet. They've tried those things. And I, I go through, I talk to them about what they've done, what they've replaced. And I'm sort of like, well, well why did you replace the ECM? And, you know, of course, they, don't, they never know why. They just replace <laughs> it because I think right. the right thing, right? The thing doesn't start, just start replacing all the expensive things. The, even more interesting than that was the batteries. They said it cranks just fine. I don't know why they put new batteries on it. I guess they thought that there was a difference between good power and bad power. I don't know. <laughs> kind of like changing out your wiper fluid or not your wiper fluid, your headlight fluid. Yeah, or switching um, from summer air to winter air for your tires. Right, yeah. They thought new batteries are different than old batteries. <laughs> if the engine's anyway, cranking, the engine's cranking. Yeah, because that's what they said. They just said they're, it, that's there and it cranks and cranks and cranks and does nothing. Yeah. And there's no smoke coming from it. I'm like, well, that, that's kind of interesting. I was like, it doesn't sound like it's even trying to fire. And then now they're going down a road where they're, they want to replace the coolant level sensor and they want to do this. And, you know, well, maybe the EGR is bad. That's why it doesn't start. I'm oh like, no, guys, God. none of that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you really only need a few things to get this thing to start. I <laughs> That's mean, it, even really. if you just all of the sensors, you you took the turbo off of it. If the injectors are there and they can be supplied fuel from the ECM, and you have a key switch power, this thing will start. It should fire, right? And, and we we go round and round, and I was like, okay, well, maybe you have a bad connection somewhere. I was like, let's just start with the base. We always say back to basics. Like, yeah. Let's start with the basics. And of course, we I already checked everything. No, it's, it's not that. It's not this. I was like, okay, well, let's, you, you're calling me, you know. <laughs> I'm going to start <laughs> at the beginning, and we're going to go back to all of it. So he looks at the battery connections of the batteries they just put in. Because sometimes people will put batteries in and then not clean the connections up and then just put these corroded terminals back on. Yeah. It's amazing. I don't know why. 
maybe because you get paid for a job and as long as you get the batteries in, it's done. I don't know. So I was like, okay, we'll start, you know, moving the harnesses around and from the battery and they're doing that. They're doing this. They don't see anything. I was like, all right, well, let's start at the ECM and kind of work our way back. I was like, the first thing is we got to make sure the ECM has power. I was like, shake that, you know, wiggle or shake the uh, connector that goes into the ECM that supplies power. It's a four pin connector and it has pretty large, I would say 12 gauge wires going into it, 12 or 14 gauge wires. Um, they're just power and ground. I said, start there to see if, you know, see if that does anything. So that's the first place I said, they shook it and immediately they said, oh, the lift pump came on. <laughs> which on the extension, you turn the key on, everybody knows you get that loud, annoying lift pump. I was like, you guys have turned the key on and never noticed the lift pump didn't come on? Oh, boy. I'm like, no. And then they hit, I was like, well, try to start it now. They start it, fires right up. No way. Oh, oh. So the whole time, <laughs> you never realized the lift pump never came on, which should signal to you as the person working on it that the ECM has no power. It's, it's you know, the, the ECM never booted up. It never even tried to start. All they were doing was just spinning the starter. Yeah. Wow. The whole time. Unbelievable. I mean, and the moral of the story is not only is most of the time it's simple. I mean, they always say, you know, keep it simple, stupid. But the other thing is these guys, out of the days they've worked on it, they never hooked a laptop up to it. No way. Because I was like, if you would have, if you would have at least tried to hook a laptop to it, you would have seen that it wouldn't have connected because so, the ECM didn't have any power. So, one, you know, one of the things we've we've talked about for years is, you know, with a lot of new technicians coming in and, you know, all this reliance on the computer and codes and all that, you know, we, we feel like some people have forgotten how to be a mechanic. They're just depending on the computer to do things. This seems like a case of, we didn't have anybody involved who had any mechanical understanding of how this engine works, and they really didn't understand the electronics. They didn't bother putting a laptop to it. Who the hell are these people? Do they not even have the basic understanding of what makes a diesel engine run? It's like you said, it is a really simple process. <laughs> there isn't much yeah. required to get a diesel engine to start. I mean, I know the electronic part scares a lot of people and there's a lot of black magic to people, but I mean, just to think about the ECM needs battery power, right. you know, that seems like a very simple thing. Let's, Hey, let's start there. I, I was just, you but know, there the, was a lot of symptoms. You know, this, this crazy idea that we're, oh, let's replace the batteries. Well, why? If it's cranking, it's cranking. Check the voltage, whatever you want. But a battery is a battery. It either it's working or it's not. To think that we'll just randomly replace them is such a waste of time and money. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it's very sad. And like I was going to say, there, there's so many symptoms that the ECM wasn't even on. Like right. there was no smoke coming from the The lift pump never came on. I mean, I... They said that the tack wouldn't jump because I said that's one thing that I always check for is when you try to start your truck and it doesn't start, does the tack move? Because if the tack's not moving, you either have no crank signal or the ECM's not turned on. Typically, when you try to start, you'll see the, the tachometer come up to maybe 100 or 200 RPM, depending on your starter. But it's something like 150 RPM. But 
They never looked at any of that. It was amazing. It's sad and amazing at the same time. Yeah. So, Leroy, were these people customers of ours? No, they weren't customers of ours. And how many hours did you have with them? Um, it was a pretty quick phone call, maybe 15 minutes or so. Okay. See? Hey, this doesn't have anything to do with... They would have been a customer. With what we're talking about. They would have been a client and called us earlier when it first happened. Look at the days and the thousands of dollars they would have saved. I know. All right. Uh oh. I'm getting some sort of weird. Kevin, somebody drove by your house with train horns. But now, I'm actually. Yeah, getting... that's, uh, that's a lot. Now I'm getting some sort of weird feedback. I was. I'm still playing around with equipment on my end, so I get uh, uh, weird stuff happening once in a while. Is that, anybody hearing me right now? Yeah, yeah we hear you. Okay. All right, got it. I had to switch mics because I just all of a sudden got some weird feedback from my monitor. Um, this doesn't have anything to do with what we were just talking about, but I thought it was pretty odd. I just uh, had one of those Rivian electric vans delivered to my house from Amazon. Weird looking. Really? Yeah. Yeah, if I wasn't on the air, I would have, I'd love to go out there and look at it, but they're gone already. Hey, you know, um, Leroy, we've talked about troubleshooting, and I, you know, brought up that book, How to Spot a Wolf in Siberia, and it's, you know, great steps on you know, the right process to follow. One of the things that maybe we didn't talk about, though, and that's the case here, you could be an awesome troubleshooter. You could know that book inside and out, but if you don't understand mm-hmm. what you're trying to troubleshoot, that book would be worthless. And that sounds like the case here. They, they didn't have the basic understanding, so to be able to troubleshoot for them wasn't going to work. I mean, even if they used that book, you know, step by step, it's not going to work because when they're sitting there and they don't, it, it doesn't even dawn on them. The lift pump isn't coming on, you know, all the, the batteries are either working or they're not. It's like they, they just didn't have the basic mechanical knowledge at all. Yeah. And I mean, that comes down to, you got to be a little bit familiar with what you're working on. Right. And if you're not, then you have to dig into the literature. And I mean, that's another point that, uh, sort of frustrates me is when people sort of just make up things that the ECM does like, <laughs> Oh, it's, well, the cool level is bad it's shorted and that's why it doesn't start. Like, where does it say that? It, right. Where, it doesn't say that anyway. It, right. Where did you find some sort of a connection between that sensor and the engine starting or not? Yeah. yeah I mean, I know that if you're low on coolant, then the engine can shut down, but that right. doesn't mean that it won't start. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's that, and then you hear all sorts of things, and the ECM is the other favorite one. It's, oh, the ECM will compensate for, for this or that, or yeah, right. I, I can put a bunch of time in it. It'll, it'll compensate for it. No, it's <laughs> like any other computer. 
tell it what to do and it does it. Right. If you yeah. ask for degrees of timing at full load, you, you will destroy the engine. It doesn't compensate for excess cylinder pressure and save the engine. No, it, it did what you told it to. Yeah, we, we don't have artificial intelligence in our ECMs yet. No, they're, they're incredibly smart, but also sort of incredibly dumb, Correct. especially from the combustion side. Yeah, there, there's point. no feedback inside the engine. It, it has feedback for certain things like NOx or exhaust or something. And it can sort of guess if it has a nuclear, but it, it does not know what's going on inside the engine. It doesn't know what the cylinder pressure is. It doesn't know what the temperature is. Um, you know, what, what the pressure spikes were, when it happens, it's sort of blind to all that. And, um, you know, someday we may have that capability, but not today. The, like I said, the ECM is very smart, but also very dumb. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. All right. Anything else? That's all I got. So has anybody heard of a company called Clear Flame Engine Technologies? Uh, I don't believe so. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, so it looks like what they're doing, um, they're modifying diesel engines. And I'm almost wondering, I was trying to figure out, I, I think they're adding some sort of a spark somewhere. Let me see if I can find that sentence again. Um, and basically what they're doing is they're just going to modify class eight truck diesel engines so that they can run on other fuels. So, but I, I thought I saw somewhere in here that there was some sort of spark being introduced. I'm not really sure. They don't give you a lot of details about how this is going to work, but they make all kinds of wild claims on how efficient it's supposed to be. Um, let me just give you two numbers here. Now, remember, we're still dealing with the same diesel engine that you work on every day. This could either be a Cummins or a Volvo or a Detroit or whatever. This company is going to come in and modify it, and then it can run on other fuels, including things like ammonia. Now, one of the things they don't talk about in here is some of these, okay, here, can run on fuel like ethanol, methanol, or ammonia. Um, the company's first application of its model was using 100% fuel-grade ethanol. That, that would mean that that was fuel made right just from corn, right? Isn't that what we make ethanol from? I believe so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So I get that you can do this, but a lot of these other fuels we're talking about, the problem is they don't have a whole lot of energy in them. I have no idea what the BTU content of ammonia is, but I have a feeling it's not very high. So they're claiming... I just don't know why you want this. Well, I, I, they're claiming it's for emissions, and they are actually claiming a 42% reduction in emissions and 30 cents per mile less on overall cost of operation. I think that is total bullshit. I'd love yeah, to see the, the numbers where they're going to save 30 cents a mile on, and that's not just a fuel cost, it's it's cost of ownership of the vehicle, which I agree, that's the number we should all be looking at. But where's all the data on what this is going to do to maintenance cost? I, I, I just do not believe these numbers at all. 
no, that's, that's just a big scam. <laughs> All the things that you were saying just, just doesn't even make sense. I mean, if we were, t- we were talking about ethanol, well, we know a car that has that runs E85 gets worth fuel mileage. We know that it takes roughly 30% more ethanol when you run E85, takes 30% more fuel to make the same power. Like it's, if we're just talking about emissions, maybe you could run some sort of different fuel, but the smarter thing to do would just turn the engine down to 300 horsepower. And then it doesn't, it produces a lot less emissions and it doesn't cost you anything. But this whole thing, what you're talking about is just, that is just crap. And I don't even know how you could get the thing to run on ammonia. I mean, that's uh, ammonia. ammonia. I- and how, how are you going to break and you got to, so you're going to break NH3 into what N2 and, then right. you'd have to what? combine the hydrogen with carbon. So yeah, I don't know how that would even work. <laughs> or or how much energy is even available in there. You know, the, the thing we have to remember, there's a reason diesel is the most popular fuel in the world. It has a lot of energy in it. That That's the whole point. So when they, they claim these other fuels are going to cost less, well, how do we know? Has anybody built a fueling station for ammonia yet? And do we know when we pull in there how much our ammonia is going to cost us? I I don't think those numbers exist. Here's something else. They talk about this 30 cent per mile reduction. Uh, Let me go back and see if I can find that. We could probably, they never talk about how much this modification costs, but we could probably come up with it pretty close here. Looks to me like it's probably going to cost about 30,000. And I say that from this sentence. The study's pricing model demonstrates motor carriers can reduce their total cost of ownership per mile by 30 cents by switching to Clear Flame's ethanol-powered engines. This means they could recoup the price of engine modification in under a year. Something in 30 cents a mile, 100,000 miles a year, Roughly $30,000 is what you'd have to recoup, and they're claiming you could do it in under a year. So maybe it's 20-some thousand. But then I get to this sentence. Clear Flame's path ahead to commercial release is a short one. For the last several years, it ran its technology in test cells. Well, test cells tell us nothing about cost. All they really tell us about is, does this technology even work? It's just a stationary engine that they're running. It's not real world. Uh, In 2022, it started accumulating miles. It anticipates that the several fleets running its pilot trucks will log 500,000 miles before 2024. We haven't even put a half a million miles on a single truck with this technology yet, and they're making claims that it's 30 cents per mile cheaper to own this truck. Where did they come up with those numbers? Yeah. And when an article no. says a technology, you know, that's just a, another word for a scam. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not technology, scam. It's the same thing. Kevin, let's turn back the hand to time. We tried natural gas. Yep. We tried propane, we tried hydrogen, and all those things burn. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, the, and the, you can get natural gas, but you don't see it. Correct. You don't see it other than on yeah. some local buses, buses at ski resorts and some cities have it. And that's it. it. It doesn't have power. And They were using it years ago when we were doing the water injection out on... Uh, on 
out of Genotry Trail in uh oh Southern Palm Springs out of Palm Springs on I-10 on Indigo Mountain yeah and uh, Mark Chapel, the Cummins engineer that was working with us and we're we're driving through Palm Springs and they had natural gas buses and he said uh, yeah they're clean but nobody likes them because there's no power right and when you're riding uh, when you're riding buses in ski country and you look and they're going up a slight grade and if you're sitting in the right front seat and you look where the operator's foot is it's always on the floor yeah, we're back to the fact that you can only inject so much fuel into the cylinder at a time, and that fuel has a certain amount of energy in it, and that's what's going to de- determine how much power we get out of that engine. And diesel still has more concentrated energy than any other fuel. And like I said, when it comes to ammonia, I'd love to see what the BTUs are there. I'll bet it's really, really low. You're going to have a horribly underpowered engine. The other thing nobody seems to want to talk about, we, we did all this testing with natural gas. The one number that stuck in my mind from those tests, and it was Cummins, uh, Cummins and Roush that came up with this number, they said the maintenance cost on the engine itself, not the whole truck, but the maintenance cost on the engine running natural gas doubled. They never explained why or what was happening. But one of the things I was shocked about is if you're going to read an oil sample from a natural gas engine, you have to start all over. Everything about reading an oil sample is different. You're looking at all kinds of different contaminants and different problems. And I've looked at some of them. I'm pretty well lost. I mean, that's how different it is just putting that different fuel in there. And I mean, you would think it's supposed to it's supposed to be a cleaner fuel, so there should be less problems. You would think, but less you know, maintenance. Yeah, there are things we don't necessarily think of. It's a different fuel. You might release some sort of contaminant from that fuel that would attack the seals inside the engine. You know, nobody ever paid any attention to that because we didn't run natural gas. These engines weren't designed for that fuel. So we don't know what kind of crazy problems you could run into. The first time they did the ultra-low sulfur fuel, um, it ate the O-rings and the seals and fuel pumps. Exactly. That, that, that kind of stuff can happen, and I'm assuming that's why the maintenance costs doubled on these engines. Nothing else seems to make sense. It doubled because this engine wasn't designed to have that fuel run through it, and it causes problems. Just because you can get the engine to run on that fuel doesn't mean it's a good thing. And like you said, we're, if, you, if even ammonia was the fuel of the future, you're going to have the same sort of infrastructure problem that you have like with electric vehicles. Yeah, they don't take as much power, but where does it all come from? Right. Who makes it? How much does it cost? You're gonna have to put up new buildings, etc. Like, it doesn't make any sense to do that. It, well, then there's another thing that bugs me about the cost. When they say, "Oh, we're gonna save thirty cents a mile," well, you don't know long-term maintenance costs, so we know you're lying about that. You also don't know what it's going to cost to have that ammonia delivered where I need it. That's going to change, and then you have to 
understand that all of these alternative fuels, if they become mainstream, they will be taxed, which they're not being taxed right now. And that that number doesn't show up in your expenses. So this whole push to, to, to keep making vehicles even cleaner, you know, we thought we got through this decade and we're over it. I don't think we are. I think we're, we're still going to have to deal with this kind of crap. So if somebody is at home right now and you have a bottle of ammonia, put some out on your concrete driveway and hit it with a burns torch and call us and tell us what happened. <laughs> Shouldn't we put out some sort of disclaimer on that? A what? Some sort of a disclaimer so if somebody burns down their garage, they don't blame it on us. No, I said outside. Oh, okay. Okay. First time I was at a bus garage out by Irwin, Pennsylvania, and, you know, they were using the catalyst, and I was out there doing a seminar with them, and they're still using the catalyst. They have zero problems with their school buses and their tour buses. But we wanted to see how it burnt. And they had a steel workbench. And we put a little bit of the catalyst on the workbench, the Max Miles catalyst. We hit it with a burn dramatic torch. It didn't light. How could this stuff not light? It didn't light. Then we put a little piece, a little bit on some cardboard and hit it with the burn dramatic torch. And I'll tell you, there might have been two cc's there. We had a flame the size of a softball. Hmm. What was the difference? And the cardboard wasn't burning. Huh. Okay. I don't know. Leroy, you've got to try it and uh, give us an engineering explanation of why. I I will do that and we'll make a video about it. There you go. Okay. All right. Let's talk about it next week on the show. One last thing I thought about with this whole ammonia thing, and then we'll get off of it was we already have an issue with NOx emissions in combustion. So NOx is formed when you, under high temperatures, you know, during combustion. So the atmosphere is what, like 78% nitrogen. So there's already a lot of nitrogen in there. Right. And then you're going to inject more nitrogen through ammonia and then compress it. So I imagine NOx emissions is going to be a problem when burning ammonia. So then what do you got to have a, a dual SCR on a new fuel? <laughs> it would just be a mess. I, 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 I can't talk about it. I'm getting upset. I know. Uh, I know. All right. Hey, Leroy, I'm impressed. You must have been paying attention in chemistry class, too. Eh, you pick up things here and there. There you go. It's impressive. Um, phones are starting to uh, light up on us. They're starting to pile up. Should we get to some calls? Sure. All right. Let's get started in Texas. Paul, Welcome. I think Leroy's a pot pyromaniac by the sound of it. He wants to burn stuff. Definitely, definitely. I, I've, I've heard right that. With him. I, I've heard that's a sign of sexual repression. I'm not sure though. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> uh, no comment. <laughs> yeah. So if they if they claim they can knock thirty cents a mile off the fuel, are they using? My numbers at about eighty cents a mile, or are they using Joel's at thirty-seven cents a mile? Yeah, well, that, <laughs> yeah. good point. 
and but let me clarify. They're not just saying fuel. If they said fuel, that'd be easier for us to, to debunk it. Oh, They're okay. claiming total cost of ownership, which I've said forever. That's the number we should always look at when we're looking at alternative vehicles or alternative fuels. We can't just look at the fuel cost. We have to look at the total cost of ownership yep. because they could make the argument that natural gas is cheaper to run than diesel. Well, only if we're looking at the fuel cost itself, and that could change. But the other cost that they're not looking at, the natural gas, all the data shows your maintenance cost goes through the roof. How long? Here's another factor. We know that running diesel in these engines, we can get a million and a half miles out of them before we have to do anything to them. Does that change if we're running ammonia? What if we're running ammonia and we have to rebuild an engine at 800,000 miles now? We got to stick to feeding. But I've been using the catalyst for 440,000 miles. And I wouldn't say I've been 100% emission trouble free, but pretty damn close to it. A knock sensor, just simple stuff. So, yeah. There and, you uh, go. Paul, I. I have a I have a question for you, Paul. Yeah. You build a new driveway out of ground asphalt for your truck. Yeah. Did you roll it with a roller? No, I rolled it with a Peterbilt. They come in the valley dump. I borrowed my neighbor's tractor and spread it out and got it fairly level with the back blade and the and the loader bucket, and then my truck on 45,000 pounds empty, and I just rolled it with that, and uh, turned out pretty good, I think. So. I, I heard that if you spray it after you put it down, you spray it with diesel fuel, you reactivate it, and then you roll it. Have you ever heard that? Yes, the guy told me that too, so... But when I've got time, I might wait till the till the weather is a little bit warmer, and I've got time to do it. But I might spray it with diesel and then get the Peterbilt roller out again. So yeah. So why don't you just have, get a why don't you get a regular roller and roll it so that you're not making gouges in it? Uh, it turned out pretty good. So we'll see. So. so- but uh, we, we should we should probably we, uh, we should probably verify at this point that the EPA isn't listening to the show. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, yeah, we're good, we're good. Okay, so, good. The uh, not not everybody is able to go to Pittsburgh Power to get their engine rebuilt, but if you can't go to Pittsburgh Power to get your engine rebuilt. The shop that is going to rebuild your engine, maybe you should ask them what they would set, set the line of protrusion at. And if they give you the wrong answer, find a different shop to rebuild your engine. Or at least talk to them about it because maybe they don't know. You know, there's a lot of good mechanics out there. They don't know about turbo boost. They don't know about how to check a charger or cooler. They're great on brakes. They may be great on putting rod and main bearings in. They may be great on putting liners and pistons in. And they just don't know about liner protrusion. They're so busy working every day, they don't take 
have time to read. They don't have time to go to the Louisville show and talk to engineers. They just don't have time. Yeah, because uh, a friend of mine, he has a 2018 cat-powered Peterbilt glider, and I don't know who built the engine, but I guess he's probably got a half a million miles on it. Um, I think it's on its second or maybe third head, but now he has injector cup troubles and he thought he had it fixed last week and he didn't even complete the first trip and same problem again, so maybe his line of confusion wasn't set right either, so. The cat reman engine that Pete was talking about last week, I mean, uh, I saw it went 200 and some thousand blew a head gasket and he had to check the line of protrusion and, and each liner was as much as 2000s off and one side could have been 1000s protrusion. The other side was 3000 and, and that's still all too low. Pete, what do we set the cat at? Six or seven? Yeah. I don't have that paperwork. We, I had Brian give it to me last week, but I don't remember the, I think it's six. Up my head. Yeah. If you said it's the high spot side of, of the OEM spec, you're fine. If you even just do that, but it's when they're on the very bottom of it, and of course they always drop. The liners never get taller. Um, and if, if the spec is like on an N14 is four to seven, and you're at four, technically it's in spec. We would never let anything go out like that, but what's going to happen in two years when it's right. three or three and a half? It's going to blow a head gasket. Yeah, well, another, another guy I know, he bought a, he bought a brand new W900 glider and he didn't even deliver the first load and it blew a head gasket. So I'm guessing it's quite common that people do not know what the line of protrusion should be. They don't know line of protrusion. That's why we made the video of it. It's not that hard to do. Right. I'll let you get the other callers. All right. Thanks for the call. Hey, Paul, after you, after you spray that with, that, uh, with diesel fuel, after you spray your driveway and roll it again um, this spring, come back on and let us know how it turned out. There you go. It makes a pretty nice driveway. Yeah. Let's head off to Virginia. Thomas, it's your turn. Uh, yeah, I just had a question about a bridge cat motor. Uh, what kind of boost should it be making? It should. Is it the five and a quarter horse? Uh, I'm just truck I was looking at to buy. Uh, best I remember, it was set at four four seventy five. That's what the guy told me. Four seventy five. My guess would be twenty six pounds. Okay, so it, I think it's it about twenty five or so. It is waste-gated, and it's controlled by the ECM. It's a great engine once you unbridge it. Yeah, y'all guys can just pretty much zoom that out of it, can't you? Yeah, as as a bridge, I wouldn't own it. Unbridged with with our manifold and turbo on, it's a wonderful engine. Okay. All right. Now, looking at another truck, too, I had a quick question about, uh, it was a 01 cat. I'm not sure if it was a 6NZ or what model it was, but the guy said he put a C. Okay. The guy said he put a C18 cam in it. 
I don't know if y'all have done that yet or if you had any information about it or well so let me ask you a question about that what horse fire and torque would make you happy uh 550 be plenty or even more than that well, uh, I thought you were going to tell me 700 I think you were going to say <laughs> 700 700 650 700 is kind of a round number we have absolutely no problems on stock 550 cans and 550 injectors running them at 700 plus horsepower. And now you still get the good idle, you get a smooth idle, you get, uh, when, if you're light on your foot and you're on level terrain and you keep that boost gauge down, it is possible to keep it down to five and four pounds of boost and, and go along. You get good fuel mileage, you get great longevity. And then when you need the power to go up the hill, you have it. I always say, I, if, we I can take you across inter- if we can take you across Interstate 80 in Pennsylvania at 80,000 pounds and you never touch the shifter, and that's going up Clearfield and Snowshoe Mountain, isn't that enough power? Oh, that's more than enough, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. never have to touch just- the shifter on 80 in Pennsylvania, that's kind of enough. Now, the guys that want 800 and 900 and 1,000, that's a little different. I was just curious why he put the cam in, and I hadn't really talked to him too much about it yet, but I just didn't know why he'd want to do it if he didn't have to. Yeah, it's a marine camshaft. Some people like them. Some don't mind the – some tell me it lopes at an idle. some people like the lope. You know, I want you can take you can take our old firebox and put it on a stock six NZ and and rewire one of the sensors and put it on fire level seven. It'll sit there and lope and boom, boom, boom. And that, I mean, it sounds neat. You don't want to sit there and let it do that for a long time. But you know, I do have a video of it if you'd ever want to see it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Are you, you in Texas? Uh, no, I'm in Virginia. Oh, okay, I was going to say uh, our customer Billy Bell figured how to do that. He's over in the western part of Texas, and he, if you're ever in that area, you could stop by and he'll let you hear what it sounds like. Okay. Uh, would you be more likely to stay away from the one with the C18 cam in it, or would it not bother you at all, or? No, no, I would. I if the if the what kind of truck is it? Uh, it's a one Freightliner Classic. If the truck is really nice and the and it's a fair price, and it's a truck that you want, I would still buy it. I, and then if the can doesn't suit you, just change the can. If, if it works okay. for you, then leave it in there. Yeah, that's but really I one a, a lot that, of people. Ch- I would not buy, I would not stay away from the truck just because of the camshaft. Okay. But I also looked up and it looked like the, a lot of people changing injectors when they put that cam in there. I don't think he did that. I didn't know if that was, uh, have any yeah. effect on it or not. But, and then, okay. Well, I Leroy, appreciate the show, hold, guys. Just, just hold on, hold on one second. Leroy, on the dyno, when we take a, a 550 and we tune it properly, on average, what horsepower do we see to the flywheel? To the flywheel? Uh, mm-hmm. Which is a, a 550 file? Uh, no, with, with our tune and manifold and turbo, 
guy wants a uh, wants a really good running cat. What do we usually see horsepower to the tell me horsepower to the ground and I'll convert it to the flywheel. Yeah, I mean a, a good running one where the guy's happy with it. I'm talking probably somewhere between five eighty and six and a quarter wheel. Five eighty to six thirty is where a lot of them land up. Okay. So let's take six thirty. At seven hundred and forty one horsepower. Uh-huh. You can get that out of a bridge pretty easy with y'all's uh, turbo manifold? Yes, sir. Oh, What's wow. the bridge in? What kind of truck? Uh, it's in a T600. It's actually a little bit cheaper truck. Well, the guy's asking is cheaper it, for it anyway, but... Is it, does it have a 13 or an 18 speed? 13. What rears? I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was 358s is what he told me. Or okay. 355, somewhere in that area. Is the truck in nice shape? Uh, it's decent, yeah. I mean, he's, he did a lot of work to it. Uh, he said he had a bunch of receipts to back everything up, a bunch of drivetrain work, bushing, steering blocks, and a bunch of stuff like that. Which truck is nicer? I, I really don't know, to tell you the truth. I haven't been to look at either one of them yet, just by what you can see on the Internet. Okay. But I'm going to go this weekend and look around at them. Well, how much is the T six hundred? Uh, twenty thousand. Ooh, that's cheap. How much is the uh, classic? Uh, I believe I can get him down to. Uh, I think he said twenty eight was at least he'd take for it. Okay. But it's got an eighteen speed know. behind it. But I like a T six hundred, so that would be my choice. Uh, I figured that'd be the best bet for fuel mileage too. Yeah. Huh. Okay. All righty, guys. Well, I appreciate y'all's time, man. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Georgia. Eric, welcome to the program. Yes. Um, I was going to give you my two cents worth on alternative fuels. I have a friend that has a thousand cow dairy farm. And they run methane generators that they create the methane from the yeah. cow poop. Okay. And there's several things that happen. The exhaust is so acidic that it would rust the buildings around it. <laughs> so we had to run it like 200 feet out. We, we actually buried the exhaust underground and put it, and it, the exhaust is in the middle of a cornfield. Holy cow. Because it's so acidic. Yeah. Like your tin buildings, you know, like our shop and everything would rust. Yeah. <clears throat> They're very hard on valves. You have to put a head on it. We They keep two heads in a machine shop at all times. Yeah. Now, that being said, when that thing's running, like in the winter, it heats the shop because we uh, have a uh, heat exchanger on the radiator. Right. So they can heat their shop for free. Um, it saves when it's running. Uh, I think maybe about five years ago, it's probably more now that they, I had asked them this just out of interest when it's running, it saves them somewhere around $12,000 a month in electricity for the barns. Yeah. Because no. uh, the fans, um, these cows never go outside. They're indoors. <laughs> so in their floors, they have like conveyors. Yeah. The tree huggers would love oh, it. Oh man. Um, yeah. 
they have like chain conveyors that take the poop away and it goes in the underground and it has to go into a digester. It's very expensive to keep it operating, but it's probably a good trade off because they seem some farmers gave up on it. Some haven't. So here's the thing we have to think Uh, of that. This is a good example of methane using methane and then all the other problems that occur and the cost. And this is pretty telling if some farmers have stuck with it and some have kind of given up on it. We have to remember all of their methane is free. They, it, it, with free yes. methane, they're producing all of their well, own it's not, methane. It's they're not, not, they're it's not, not, they're it's, not buying it but from it's not somebody. Free well, right. They have to buy all I the know, equipment but, and the infrastructure, <laughs> right? But, yeah, like, like but let's think about this. Let's think about this. If we're going to use methane in a truck, somebody is going to have to make that investment into equipment to produce methane, and then they have to make a profit on the methane or there's no point in doing it. So it's the profit part that's going to... Yeah, so if people who can produce their own methane can't find enough savings to make this worth it. And we're talking about running simpler engines and heaters and generators and things like that. We're not talking about running a diesel engine that has 127 computer chips on it. Well, you have to see the operation to create the methane. The digester has to be kept at a certain temperature so that the poop makes the gas. Then the gas has to be filtered because it's so acidic. Yeah. Um, you have a you have a cat you have a cat engine. It's an enormous engine. I don't even know what model it is. I should, but. They have to convert it. They have to put spark plugs in it and all that to ignite it. it that's what it sounds know, like. That this not, company's not doing right. The, right. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> but uh, the maintenance costs of those alternative fuels. I mean, when you have when you're milking 750 to 1,000 cows, I mean, you could probably absorb some of that. But this, the infrastructure of it has to be rebuilt. Like the, they're coming up on where they have to completely drain the digester which is two million gallons of shit <laughs> and uh because it has to be agitated it has to have agitators oh, in there man uh to keep because you got to keep that stuff moving, moving yeah so that the gas comes out of it yeah it's, it's a lot i mean it's pretty technical I it mean, sounds like a lot I, I i think and i never asked them it's none of my business really they probably got a tree hugger grant from the government I'm sure. to build it because it yeah. had to cost millions and millions of dollars. I'm sure we, we, um, we paid for it. I'm sure of it. Yeah, probably. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, probably, but, uh, whatever. I mean, it's, it's out there, I guess when we, it applies to us because somebody's going. To money. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, kudos to this caller because it's, it's uh, it reinforces what I've always said. If you have questions and you want some answers, just ask several owner operators. Somebody will have seen something like this and uh, and give you this this straight scoop. Yeah. This is a straight well, scoop could, on the poop. Yeah, I'm go. not a farmer, Bruce. I'm a long, I'm a 30 year long haul owner operator. I'm actually 33 years, but. I live near this place, so we became friends. My kids actually went to school with his kids. And 
I went over to, it takes a lot of trucks and I was helping them work on their trucks. And then we built a big shop over there that I get to use when I need it. And, but I'm interested in the, how things work, work. just because I'm nosy. You know, I mean, no, no, it's, some, it's not nosy, it's inquisitive. And, well, and there's a lot of hang out. If you hang out at an industrial farm like that, I call it industrial big farm. Yeah. Cause that's all we're going to have any, in the future. You can learn a lot. Yeah. And that, you know, it's, yeah, there's a, it's crazy. The amount of things that go on, uh, 24 hours a day. Yeah. And, uh, mm. It's also crazy the expense. Like it's no wonder milk's expensive. I mean, to buy a chopper, you know, to make the silage that the cows eat, you know, you could buy used one for four or five hundred grand, or a new one probably pushing a million these days. Who knows? Just it's just crazy the numbers involved. It's like trucking. You know the thing is about farming like a lot of industries that those you know we could say that well to build that ammonia thing was really expensive and I'm sure that it was but it it's the scale that allows us to sell things so cheap but we're also learning all the downsides of doing that just making a whole bunch of stuff cheap for people is is not really in anybody's best interest. If we were to go back to more traditional farming where you had a farm that had multiple crops and multiple types of animals and everything works together like a, you know, a polyface farm kind of thing, the cost of our food would actually go up. But that wouldn't be a bad thing. Oh, well. Yeah, it, it would go up. We're, we're producing stupid, cheap food with these industrial operations. You know, also, we had a caller yesterday, and he was talking up. about chicken houses that he was at, and he was saying there were hundreds of thousands of chickens in each house. I just read an article yesterday about an operation that had three million chickens in one building. Oh, there's chicken houses at our place that are... there's. Truck, truckloads, yeah. truckloads of chickens in yeah. buildings. Millions of chickens in one biz- one then, building. Uh, there's a place up on outside of Lancaster. They converted their chicken houses into inside RV storage. Oh, climate there you controlled go. Because there you go. The chicken houses that wore out, you know, because of the chicken piss and everything. Yeah. They, there's a shelf life of the, the infrastructure of the chicken house. They decided it was a better model to convert it over instead of spending millions refabbing these, you know, redoing these things. And I believe those RV inside storage things are full. I think I, they're I, making a killing off of it. If I had because, one uh, close enough, I'd, I'd store mine inside. I, I may build well, something Believe myself. it or not, like, I, I talked to the guy because he's also in the trucking business. There's most of the RVs in there are owned by people who live in other countries and they come to the United States and spend like a month or two months just cruising around and yeah. then they'll park the RV back in there. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's ironic in the RV world, the more somebody pays for a coach, the less it's going to get used. Um, yeah, <laughs> that, that seems to be the I way it works. for the longest time. And my, I wanted one for the longest time. My buddy bought one. He bought a Newmar, and we took a couple of trips in it. And um, 
we were lucky that we were pretty handy fellows. Those things need a lot of attention. <laughs> yes, they do. If you put a lot of miles on them, they really need a lot of attention. If you run them in the dead of winter, they they don't like it. There's <laughs> another one, yeah. And the Newmar, the, it, the Newmar is a great motorhome. They're, they're yeah, a great company, Newmar. We went out to we went out. Well, we were running out to ARI to spec some sleepers. And we we continued on a Newmar to buy parts for that thing, and it was really a nice place. I mean, they have a helicopter pad and all this stuff. It was quite the experience. But his coach was a 2012, and it needed to go back to Newmar. That was the biggest problem is it needed to go get updated, like all the electronics. Right. Because stereos and the controls and stuff, they're six, eight years old. That's... <laughs> so, yeah. I have a funny and story about that. I think you have a country coach, right? You I have, have a country coach. So I have a country coach that was in 07. So, right, so they haven't built them for a while, so I have to go to country coach and get updated. Yeah. They, they stopped building the country coach in 2010, but a lot of the executives, when the company went out of business, several of the executives yeah, either bought the building or they rented the building. So it's the same original factory. And I take it People. back to them. Yep. They have all the original cabinet makers still working there. And so I still get work done and it's like factory. I mean, I have a YouTube channel that I watch periodically. It's cool. Yeah. It, it's you just, know, you can't. So. You, you can't buy anything newer than a 2010 in Country Coach. That was the last time they made one. But I I updated all of my electronics myself, and it was pretty. So think back to 2007, what big flat screen TVs were like, because this thing had had a really big <laughs> flat screen TV from 2007. I went to take that thing out. I had to get help. That thing must have weighed 80 pounds. It was huge. And then... Well, well, what the, about all your controls for your heating and air conditioning and stuff? Because his was all pad stuff, push pads. Yeah, this... Mine, it was all kind of junk. Mine was still mechanical on everything else, so I don't have that problem. Oh, you're problem. lucky. Yeah, I don't have that problem. But the other thing... <laughs> the cabling for the TVs to the stereo... So... In the front of the coach, it's got a seven-speaker surround sound system, three-channel, seven-speaker. In the bedroom, it's got a five-channel, two, uh, or five-speaker, two-channel surround sound. Um, so there's wiring and cabling everywhere, and you have your, you, you used to have a satellite dish on it, so you had all the satellite cabling. And it, remember the the big, three color cabling for TVs and, and video and that kind of stuff. It ran on three separate cables. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah red, white, and yellow. Exactly. I must have our, our RCA plugs. RCA <laughs> plugs. There you go. That's right. I must have pulled out a hundred and fifty pounds of that stuff. There was so much cabling in there. And now it's drop dead simple. You know, I put a, a 30, but probably a 20 pound flat screen TV up there and it all runs off the internet. So there's no connections to anything anymore. I don't have a DVR or a satellite dish or a, it, it just, it sits up there and it's wireless to the internet and all that cabling is just gone. Yeah. Like when I ordered my, when I got the AR, I bunked, I didn't want the satellite, the mobile satellite on the roof. They didn't understand all that. 
I don't need that. I can stream with my phone exactly. through a TV. <laughs> right. <laughs> as yeah. long as I have a signal, yeah. I say, I don't want all that junk. Yeah. It, it, it looks I, stupid anyway. Big, heavy satellite <laughs> dish. I was able to take off the top, all the cabling for that. Um, so, it, the replacing the... They're still putting the, that up. I guess some people... Yeah. They, yeah some they people, do. I guess, want to watch dish riding down the road, but I, I, you know, I'm one of the guys, so... Yeah. It's... No TV watching going no. down the road. I have bad enough time listening to podcasts. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what other owner-operators should take from this conversation is if you're in a shop and somebody's trying to talk you into converting your engine into alternative fuels, you don't, listen to don't do it. You should raise your eyebrows and you should just shake your head and then leave because... Um, you answered a lot of questions. In as long as you, you're talking about people wanting to buy used trucks right now, start watching the Copart auctions and stuff for repossessions. Just make sure most of them are broke down. Yeah, and the guys can't fix them. But with the current thing going on, because I watch, I buy wreck cars and stuff from Copart and trucks once in a while just for something to do. And the broke down ones will start heading. They already are heading to those auctions, like. For, you know, they got to go somewhere. Right. And right. you just better be prepared to buy a motor. You, you know, you better have the wherewithal yeah, to exactly. deal with a motor. Right. Yeah. Right. Because even my buddy, and I don't do social media, but he told me on Facebook Marketplace, uh, you'll see a guy with like, pay the repair bill and take over what's left of the payments and take the truck because <laughs> they don't have the money. for. But it could be a good way to get a later model truck. Yeah, on the cheap, yeah. you it, have the, it, the, you're uh, right, you know, it, and and you, you have know, to have, have to the be, the financial ability to deal with some risk you may not even know is there. Well, I'm a Dave Ramsey guy, so yeah, there I pay you go. for everything. But, yeah, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> I learned I, I learned the hard way. I used to there. finance everything that was cheap, and then one yeah. day I added up all my. That's uh, <laughs> right. what I had in the bank, and I was broke. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Good, good lesson. You know, if you if you take you take all the, all your car payments and your mortgage and all that bullshit and add it up, and then go, well, let's just use round numbers. I owe a hundred thousand dollars, and I got ninety in the bank. I, I there's a I'm problem. Broke. Yeah, there's there's a problem there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a life changing thing. I mean, yeah. it's hard to do when you are in business as owner operator to not finance some things, especially right. now when reefer trailers are one hundred eighty thousand dollars. I know, but I, know. Uh, it's, I mean, I bought my first new reefer in '94, and I think it was like forty eight thousand dollars with a unit yeah. that same trailer today that'd be a 53 footer but not 48 but is like 160 grand that's insane it's insanity it is it is I it agree. is it's insane yep hey eric great you know, great information uh you know for an owner operator to look at these alternative fuel vehicles to me the analogy is it's kind of like invest investing in cryptocurrency you can make all kinds of wild claims about this stuff, but we have no historical data to prove anything. It, that, to me, is just way too risky. Let's, uh, let's go to Florida. Randall, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, second time calling. Pleasure to talk to you again. What's on your mind today? Well, uh, first thing, um, first call I had to you was uh, with tire pressures. 
And I've been running my trucks at um, 100 on the drives and 110 on the steers and hauling 20,000 pounds. I'm averaging close to nine miles a gallon and hauling 40. I'm getting around seven and a half. So I don't think that's too bad because I go through both mountains, you know, mountains on both coasts. Um, but you know, I, I got to looking around and thinking about the, uh, the whole ammonia thing. Yeah. And I did some lookups on the BTU values. So hydrogen has 51 and a half thousand BTU per pound of energy. Okay. Ammonia has just about 8,000 BTUs per pound. So the only way I can think of ammonia being any kind of a viable fuel as a hydrogen carrier. And that got me thinking, well, how do you do that? Do, does every truck have a fuel cell in it now with a big tank of water? It converts to hydrogen and oxygen. Um, I, I don't no, think no. that's what they're talking about here. I, I don't think that sounds I mean, really whole, complicated to me. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing sounds like something out of future world. Yeah. It just doesn't make much sense. It, it, it you know, I, look, I understand natural gas and propane, and and even those we know they're light on BTUs. I mean, propane generators. I've had several of them in RVs. They're nowhere near as good as a diesel generator. Just give me a good diesel generator. I don't like propane generators. They're not efficient. There's not enough energy in that fuel. And then you look at something like ammonia. It, it sounds like it has almost no energy in it. I, so you're right. There has to be something yeah. else going on here. Yeah. And they're being coy about it. Well, they're probably being coy because it's not quite working. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and then let the, but, if I mean, you look at all the yeah. downsides. How toxic is ammonia? I mean, there, there, we, oh, we have issues. Well, we with, use it to clean stuff. Yeah, we we have issues with with fumes and ammonia will destroy your lungs. I, there's all kinds of problems here. Yeah, well, what was that whole thing in World War One? Oh yeah, mustard it gas. Must you know, gas. chlorine's pretty close to ammonia. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure I want that coming out my exhaust. It, yeah, no, that's the, just me. The whole thing's just too weird. And then they all make all these wild claims. And my question is, where did you get this data? You just admitted you don't even have a truck that's run to half a million miles yet. Won't be for another year plus before your first real truck right. on the road even gets to a half a million miles. What if, what if at a half yeah. a million miles your one box is wiped out? Oh, it won't even take that long. Right. What? We, we don't know what this stuff is. Not with such do a powerful base. Systems, right. It, it's just, that, you yeah. know, here's, here's what I think is going on with companies like this. I think that all of these companies, we've talked about it before, with solar and wind and, and ethanol and government subsidies. That's what all this crap is about. Uh, go form these companies, well, get all these how... government subsidies and tax breaks, lie about your technology, and then eventually you'll just go out of business and people will leave with pocketfuls of money. Yeah, and it's an open secret that that's how Elon Musk made his fortune with Tesla Motors. And I wish he wouldn't have. I wish they would have just... I know. I have a feeling that Elon Musk would have brought an electric car to market without any tax dollars if he would have had to. And that's how it should have happened. Yeah. So I guess from a business point, you know, taking the subsidies was the smart move. For him, it was. 
I, I, that doesn't mean I like them. That, that was all our money they used to develop this. And now I have to pay him $80,000 to buy one of his vehicles that my money was used to develop. Exactly. And I can't afford one of those cars. Right. Besides, I don't want that kind of short range. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it, we're, we're, we're totally screwing this whole, you know, green transition up. It's nothing but a giant money grab. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, from my perspective as a driver, I think the best way to get more efficiency out of these vehicles isn't with aerodynamics. Um, it's with better metallurgy. So our engines can run a higher compression and burn more of the fuel, get more of the, the energy value out of it. Why not all of it? Because honestly, if, if we were to look at it, there's not a lot of room left in engine efficiency. We're doing a pretty damn good job of burning all the fuel. And then in a case where an engine might not do it as efficiently as it should, the catalyst, we know if we're cleaning up emissions and we, we've eliminated emission problems, you know you've got to be burning more of the fuel because it was the leftover unburnt fuel that was causing the problems. There's not much left there to tap into. True. But in aerodynamics, there's still a lot to gain. Part of the problem is in aerodynamics well, with internal combustion engines, we, we're just so limited in the shape of the vehicle. The shape of the vehicle has to have a large front end because of the cooling. That's right. why the, the Tesla truck looks so bizarre, but it, it has an amazing drag coefficient. Well, we could always take a cue out of Formula One and put the uh, radiators on the sides of the yeah, truck. That's, I, I think part of the problem, and, and I run into this in my coach, I was shocked when I had to go change that charger cooler. Leroy, how big is that thing? Mm -hmm. Sizable. It, it's a it's big. monster charger cooler. It was huge because it's on the side. That's how coaches are. They, they, oh, wow. The, the charger cooler and the radiator is on the side of the vehicle, and you don't get enough airflow, so both of those components have to be significantly larger. And you have huge uh, fans drawing yes. air. Yeah, big fans pulling all kinds huge. of power. Which means your alternator has to use more. Right. And if you, I guess if you put big uh, intake tunnels on the sides, that's going to have... Probably the same frontal area. It, you'd start to create more hey, drag, I, right? Yeah. I, I want to change the subject while we have this caller on board. Um, we're running aircraft carriers and submarines with nuclear power. Why doesn't somebody build a small nuclear generator, whatever you want to call it, and let's put it in a truck? I would love the idea, but I think the um, the problem comes down to two words. One is lead. So you're making the reactor very heavy because you have to for the radiation shielding. And the other is all the hysterical tree huggers. I know, but we don't tell them. Let's say we built 10 or 20 of them, or, or we built 100. And you put them in owner-operator trucks, and, and they don't say anything. Then when all they burn is water. Hey, I would be one of the first guys testing that system. So, so let me ask you this. I know nothing about nuclear power, but it makes heat. 
So yep. what is it using to make electricity, or how are they turning propellers on a sub or on a carrier? Is it steam? Yeah, the way it works is that um, you know, the reaction chamber has all the uranium, which generates immense amounts of heat, as you mentioned, from fission. And then they pump water into it, and the water becomes superheated in steam and runs through steam turbines. The turbines spin up and generate electricity, um, just like Hoover Dam, but... It, Instead of the water falling down the chutes into the turbines at Hoover Dam, it's heat being generated by the nuclear pile that creates the heat, um, that creates the steam and pressure that turns the turbines. So the only thing we'd see coming out the stack of a truck is steam. Right. If you ever make this small nuclear a, reactor. Right. And if you've ever driven past a nuclear power plant, um, I live in Florida, so we've got a uh, plant at Crystal River. You see the plume of steam coming up off of it? That's mm -hmm. just pure water steam coming out. There's nothing at all radioactive or carcinogenic or harmful about it. Right. Right. I mean, it's actually the cleanest so source of Why couldn't we make a small nuclear reactor and put it in a truck? I guess it's just a matter of miniaturization and weight. Well, because you have to make right. you know very small turbines, and the smaller the turbines are, the less efficient they are at producing electricity. So, yeah, you know, with nuclear power plants scaling up everything, um, really benefits because the blades spin slower or more slowly. Um, they generate more torque, which can in turn generate more electricity. With smaller turbine blades, they have to spin faster, and then you run up against material limits along with lubrication problems. So scaling down with nuclear is kind of problematic. You know, there's what about if you don't turn, if you don't spin a turbine, you just make it like an old locomotive, and you have that piston going back and forth, and you have that arm coming back, and it's turning the drive tires. I have a feeling this may if, be if you can the the largest example of we don't understand all the unintended consequences of this one that comes to mind mm -hmm. is where do we get store transport and deal with all of this radioactive material needed on every vehicle now and have we created a situation where a terrorist could run around and gather enough to blow up a city well, probably not, because um, you know, the, uh, the uranium used in nuclear power plants and actually in medical offices and dentist offices, that's not fissionable material. It's just very energetic. It's also it really takes a lot of work from what's called... Sure, and that's so, why you wear the lead vest when you get your x-rays at the dentist. Right, so if we have all this material running around in vehicles, that creates an awful lot of issues. True, um, but you know what? To get the efficiency and um, the use and to protect myself, you know, shoot, I'd run around with a dosimeter around my neck. Not me. There are, there are better ways to power <laughs> yeah. vehicles than I need to worry about, you know, am I getting cancer every time mm -hmm. I get my vehicle? Right, right. right. And the submarines, they're underwater for as long as 80 days. I'm not sure I'd be. My yeah. sister's neighbor was on submarines, no, and, no, and he I, said I, they would be down for 80 days. Yeah, I, I get it. There are ways to yeah, make and, it uh, safe, but again, we protect those submarines from 
terrorist attacks of some sort. It's a submarine under the water protected by the military. All of a sudden, you have millions of vehicles running around with this material. You, you can't protect no. it. I'm not saying I'm not saying millions. A couple hundred owner operators. Why well, I know, but why develop that technology if if that if you're not thinking that it would expand? I mean, we have millions of trucks on the road. If this is the most efficient, you wouldn't just build a hundred. If you build a hundred and you prove that it's efficient, it works. Then you're going to want to build a hundred thousand. Millions, right? <laughs> you know, I'm I'm sure somewhere deep within the archives of the Department of Energy, there's a white paper or three Probably. on the subject. Yeah, I'll bet there is. I mean, I right. for God's sake, they they turned a B thirty they turned a B thirty six bomber into a, a nuclear powered aircraft back yeah. in the fifties, if I remember right. So it's just a matter of will, and you know, nuclear is like a four letter word these days, which is ridiculous. Well, it is. Right. I mean, we we can't build a new power plant. They're I, not going to let us build hundreds or millions of vehicles. Yeah. And who is this they? What right do they have? <laughs> yeah. I, it seems to be the people we keep voting in. That's who they is. Either, now that or, Cortez, huh? either that or there really is a shadow government we don't know about. Oh, we know them. They're the bureaucrats who never get voted in, but they yeah. stay there for 40 years. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Hey, Randall, great stuff. Boy, we've had some good callers today with some great information. Um, we got to move along, though. Yeah. We're going to go off to Iowa. Tim, welcome to the program. Good morning, guys. I have uh, something that is a little more basic than what you're talking about. <laughs> I have a 2010 T660, and I have 2.53s in the back on a 6x2 with a, a direct 10-speed. Um, hey, let me I ask you just Hey, Tim, thinking, let, let me ask you something. Yes. You said this was a 2010? Mm-hmm. Yes. 253s and a 6x2. Yes. Did somebody build this truck special? An old, this used to be a Conway truckload. Okay. Truck. Okay. Really interesting they, specs they for ordered, a 2010. Yeah. Yes. That's why I bought it. Yeah. <laughs> I used to work for Conway when I got it, and I picked it out. Anyway, got it. I rebuilt the motor, and I went to I went to a 630 horsepower, so I changed the CPL. Um, I was just thinking... I haven't heard you guys talk about okay. How do you how do you shift a ten speed? I am currently getting eight point zero four on my ninety day, and I'm running your all I have is your uh, scan gauge, the KR, and I would run my truck according to the throttle position sensor, and I try to keep my foot at thirty forty uh, percent. But that gives me a boost at approximately you know three point nine four point or something like that. And I was just wondering, how would you shift that? Do you do the progressive on the lower and then you go a little higher? Just some basics on shifting the transmission. And I'm in Iowa. I go to Iowa quite a bit, so we're doing the rolling hills. Um, and sometimes I've heard Bruce talk about, oh, if it's at 8%, then 8 pounds of boost, then you're getting the most of fuel efficiency. And then the other time I heard him talk about 12%. Uh, I'm just go over the basics. All right, let me give you my thought, and then, Kevin, I want your thought on this. If you you need to get the RPM up so high on a 10-speed so you can grab the next gear because you have a five to 600 RPM split. 
So is this an ISX? It is uh, ISX, yes. Okay. Um, right. I'm at so you've got to get the RPM up so high they come back in so you're not lugging on the engine. So if you just hold your foot and you just keep giving a little bit of fuel, and let's say it's taken 14 pound of boost to accelerate this load where you are, and you just keep it around 14 pounds and you let the RPMs build up. That means you're not in a real hurry to get from zero to 65, but, and if it takes a mile to get there, so be it. Uh, but you're, you're just easing into the throttle and controlling the boost and letting the RPM build, and then you can grab the next gear and get into the next gear without putting a strain on the engine. Okay. Um, what I do is, like say, I, I run tires, so I'm at about 35,000 pounds one way and then zero the other or empty the other. Um, when I'm loaded, I do the progressive shifting on the bottom. On the and once I get to the top, then I'm at 40. Uh, you know, it takes me yeah, it takes me three miles to get up to 60 miles an hour where I like to run. And... <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of my, you know, you, you kind of, you get, you, I got 1.1 million miles on the truck and you, you have to rethink exactly, okay, exactly how do I, how am I doing this? Um, I just watch my TPS at 40% and that uh, when you're at eight, eight pounds of boost, I'm at 45%. And I'm just wondering whether I, if I can get squeeze some more miles out of this thing just by staying up, you know, the four or five percent. And I let it, so I let it say, lug down. I let it lug down to about eleven fifty before I um, grab uh, the, the lower gear. Okay, let's say when you're accelerating, and let's say you're in eighth going to ninth. What RPM do you take the engine to before you grab the next full gear? Uh, if I'm on the level. Then it on the level be, loaded, yeah, on the level loaded. Then it will be right around thirteen fifty. Thirteen fifty, and you're grabbing a gear. Isn't that bringing you in around eight hundred RPM? No, no, that brings me in just right around eleven hundred. He's going up a gear. Sorry, right? What, 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 what are you talking about? You're going? Uh, yeah, no, no, he's going up a gear. When you're grabbing a full gear. One of the things we have to remember yeah. here, when we're talking about mm -hmm. this split and the difference between a 13 and a 10 or a 9, we tend to forget mm -hmm. that the way most people drive a 13 speed, we're only talking about one shift that's going to be different from second to third, third to fourth, fourth. That they're identical. We all have the same jumps for the most part. I mean, every transmission is a little different in its right. ratios. The only shift we're really talking about that's going to be different the way most people drive this is they split the last gear. Maybe some people, if they're really heavy, might split each one up top. But we have to remember, it's not every shift that's different on this transmission. It's only a couple shifts. Right. And uh, well, back, so, back in the so, days yeah, of the big... Back in the days of the big cam, when we would load double loads of steel out of Pittsburgh going to Chicago, 
uh, with a 13-speed. They were splitting on the top side every year. Well, well, remember why, Bruce? I mean, we developed these multi-speed transmissions to make up for a lack of torque. With today's torque, I, it's, it, it's just not nearly the problem it used to be. I mean, how much torque did that big cam have stock? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know we could build it, but for the most part, you were trying to make up for a lack of torque. Okay. Well, I'm surprised I, that you're, if you can shift out at 1300, 1350 and come back in at 1100. Yeah, a full yeah, gear. I take it. To, I take it real easy. Uh, you don't want to be behind me when I'm going up yeah, on I, going up the hill, or uh, it, you know what I mean. You know, coming, out, I, coming out of the onto the on ramp. You know, I was going to say your your question was about whether or not there's a way you could shift to maybe get a little more fuel efficiency. I kind of doubt it. After listening to you know the way you're driving this. I, if there's anything left to gain, it's going to be so small we'd never be able to measure it. I mean, I, I think you're driving this truck oh, yeah. exactly the way you should be, and I think these are good specs well, I guess for a the, uh, factory, you know, spec out in 2010. Is it is it all right to let the thing? You know, if I'm like a, I'm just really easy, and I'm I let the thing go down to a thousand RPM with thirty percent, thirty two percent on the throttle. At you know, a, I'm at I'm at a, a one pound boost or something yeah, like that. It, you know, it, when you're when you're when you're not producing a lot of boost and we're not using a lot of torque, that would be fine. You, you we don't really right. want to run that engine at a thousand RPM all the time. Yeah, you know, we don't want to try to produce right. any torque no, or right. pull. Exactly. That's that's really kind of pushing it on the ISX. But letting it drop down right. that low when there's no load against the engine is not a problem at all. So let's say you're going up a long grade, and are you still shifting into the next gear at thirteen hundred? No. Well, if I'm at if I'm at like thirty five, thirty six thousand pounds in a box, and I'm going through West Virginia or something like that, yeah, then I bring the RPMs up up to fifteen to sixteen hundred before I okay. Um, uh, so when you're at fifteen. Fifteen or sixteen hundred. What's your gauge showing for throttle position? I'm I'm at like sixty sixty percent. Okay. Okay. Yeah, going going up yeah. the hill with load load in there, and then I'm yeah. close to, close to twenty two pounds. Mm-hmm. See, Kevin, back when you were driving, my Ken worked with the mechanical engine. You could actually let the RPM creep up. By not giving it any more fuel, right? If you if you said I'm going to use 15 pound of boost and you held it to 15 pound of boost, the RPM is going to continue to climb, continue to climb, even though you are not pushing more on the on the throttle. Then right. you could grab the next gear and and not not be shaking the whole vehicle. Yeah, yeah. That that for a mechanical Wait, engine, I, that truck had plenty of power. It was it was not hard to shift at all. My my next question is, I went from when I rebuilt the motor two hundred thousand miles ago. I went from a twenty seven thirty two to a twenty nine nineteen uh, CPL, but I left the turbo as the same as the twenty seven thirty two. Okay, 
I'm not familiar with this problem. Well, it went from the 450 horse to a 650 horse. Yes. So, but I left the turbo as the 450 horse. Uh, but I, I kept our, um, the horsepower is right now is at 630 or something. That's what it's two to. Okay. Um, so with the small turbo being your driving so easy, it's probably helping you. When you're on the level at 60 mile an hour with your load, wind's not blowing. How many pound of boost are you using? Uh, 3.94, right around the four area. Okay. Yeah, no, the turbo, your turbo's fine because you're being so gentle with it. But the average person, the turbo would be way too small. Would, because I, I get around, I, I have the, um, I left the, uh, electronic turbo, what do you call that? That, um, vein. VDT. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I really like the engine brake. I just, I love the engine brake. So I left it alone. Sure. Um, when I rebuilt the motor, um, but I get around uh, around five hundred thousand, then it's time to switch out that turbo. I'm just thinking, then uh, you know, a couple hundred thousand miles, I probably have to switch out the turbo again. And why do you think the turbo is only going a half a million miles? Well, that's past experience. I put a million miles on this thing, about four to five hundred thousand miles, and the turbo starts to act up. And the things get stuck. I do run the catalyst. Um, and I have uh, for years now, however long you guys been talking about it. And the veins are getting stuck. Yeah, he, they get they they start to jam. They just they wear out. There's that uh, hmm. uh, that ring that goes around those veins that uh, slides where the um, veins slide yeah. slide in and out of, and they start mm-hmm. to um, get elongated or how else he's supposed to explain that. Yeah. And then it starts to jam. So I'm just thinking in a couple hundred thousand miles, if I if it would be worth just uh, redoing or you know going to the right size turbo, would that be any benefit at all? I think you may lose a little bit because I think it's the turbo that's allowing you to do these early shifts and run along so easy, and the fact that you're in between three and four pound of boost at sixty mile an hour, I. I think you might want to stay with that turbo. Now, if you want to experiment, go to the 600 turbo and see what happens. If somebody would let you use one for one trip, one trip would be all it would take, and you would know that. You think you think the fuel economy would go would go to the tank if I'd have that? You know, well, I don't know. Easy. Don't know because you're 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 probably one of the easiest drivers out there, and. You know, you made me think about our our Caterpillar turbos for like the uh, 3406Es and the C15 single turbos. We had various exhaust housings and compressor wheel housings, and you kind of need to know how the person, what kind of horsepower they're making uh, on the average or what kind of boost they're running, what terrain they're running, and then you can come up with the right housing and the right compressor wheel and housing but in your case yeah. being you're so low like that it would be interesting to try a 600 turbo 
right. and see and run it for yeah. a couple it, of trips. Well, it, and, it's not to, not to say that I don't put my foot into it every once in a while. You know, I'm an ex-mechanic, and I, I know about the Italian tune-ups, but um, you do that once once every quarter or something like that, and you let it go. Mm-hmm. But um, generally, I'm, I'm very easy on the truck, and I think that's why I got 1.1 on this ISX right from the original. So, I'm, Yeah. Uh, why don't you try it? Yeah, I can try if it. If it doesn't work, just sell it. <laughs> yeah, there's that point. Yeah. Um, I mean, sell the turbo. Sell the serve. Sell the sell the turbo and go the back to the four fifty. Go back or or try a five a five hundred. Um, I don't know on those the a, a over R ratio or the square centimeter of the turbine housings and what the difference is. But that would be well, interesting to try to find that out. I think that if I recall, the number on the turbo was the H five sixty one VE or something like that. So, yeah. But uh, what's the, the square centimeter of the turbine housing? I don't know. That's what, yeah, that's what would be nice to know. Right. Okay. Um, well, it I might bring you down. It might bring you down to one pound of boost at sixty miles. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> And then, and then if that happens and the variable geometry turbo gives you enough spool up to do the early shifts, then you are going to save more fuel. Okay. Something to experiment with. Thanks. So I think I would try it. Yeah. So, um, one other thing. I have Road King socks. Have you come up with any solution yet? No. We had a guy in, a machinist in, and another guy that was going to fund them. And we had a meeting in my office. We had all the parts of the Road King on the desk. And this machinist is standing there, and he thought he was uh, a great machinist. And he's looking at these parts and looking at these parts. And uh, a couple of days later, after he left, he called me. He said, no, nah, that's too much for me. And that was the last meeting we had on, on the shocks at that time. Um, yeah, because you know, the I, eyelets on the front on my the steering axle are are uh, starting to get loose, and I'm like, uh, I'm going to take them off and machine a bushing myself. That that's probably <laughs> that's what right. you're going to have to do. And if you have these shocks and you can find somebody that can figure out how to rebuild them, I would probably do that. You know, here, here's what I think the problem is on this because I, I watched this unfold over years. Um, Road King, Lonnie started in Baja racing. I mean, he is like a legend in off-road racing. Um, Those people will spend any amount of money they can to gain an advantage. But money usually isn't much of an issue for them. they, They will spend what they have to spend to get that advantage. When you look at the typical truck in the United States, even owner operator trucks, I know people that have no idea how many miles are on their shocks. They they never get changed. I've seen trucks that shocks never get changed. And there doesn't seem to be a huge downside 
Now, I don't like driving them. You can feel when the shocks are just totally worn out. I don't like driving it, but obviously a lot of people don't have a problem with it. So we have people who won't even spend a little bit of money to replace shocks with the, just the factory junk. They, they just drive the truck and forget about the shocks. So this business model to get somebody to pay that kind of money for a shock that ultimately had to be rebuilt and it was fairly expensive to rebuild, then you have to come up with a rebuild program. You know, I I criticized them for years. You can't expect people to take off their shocks and send them back to you for rebuild. You should have a program where you send them rebuilt shocks and they send you cores back. But that was expensive. The, the whole problem with this business model was it was just really, really difficult to generate any profit. That's too bad because I love the shock. I know. Me too. Yeah. I, me too. But it, it, it's a business model that I, I just don't know if anybody's going to be able to solve. To build that really good shock is just expensive. Say, Bruce, you had the um, you had the parts on the table. Can you get parts for any of the seals or the eyelets and all that kind of stuff? We we had the hard parts on. Okay. And I have this huge machine shop, but we're on South Noah on North Noah Drive. Uh, I haven't talked to them, but uh, I'm sure that if if we would go to them and say we need two thousand of this part and two thousand of that part. Two thousand seems to be yeah. the magic number for large machine shops. <laughs> and yeah. uh, that wow, I mean whew, we could tie up a few million dollars building the, the first shocks and Right. Right. I, I, you know, I, I looked at it, you know, is this something that, you know, I, Bruce, like we brought you the deal with OPS. I, you know, thought about this. And, and the more I looked at that model of these shocks, I just thought, I don't want to have anything to do with this. I don't think you can make any money. And, you know, if there was, if there would only be a few, few different shocks, but how many that's different shocks are right. there for all trucks? Right. And that's the other problem. Yep. That's and a good point. Mr. Okay. We tried. And, and then Josh at Turnaround Transport in Mobile, Missouri, he was working with a Baja racer. And that's he said, yeah, they'll build us a great shock. And, uh, and we had uh, many conversations over the phone and uh, talking to Josh a lot. And speaking of prices of shocks, Josh was telling and talking the other day about these really good snowmobile shocks. And they were in the $2,000 a piece. Oh, <laughs> man. That's crazy. I thought, I thought I said, four grand for riding on, my truck was bad. Yeah. I said we're riding on snow. Right. We're on powder snow. <laughs> wow. so we're not hitting yeah. bumps. Yeah. And... Uh, so he did get a set, but he got him on a, some type of trial deal, and I'll get to see them at the owner-operator snowmobile conference. But, wow, I mean, I was just blown away. A couple thousand dollars for one shock, and wow, there's three of them on a sled. So, <sighs> yeah. So I guess the the um, the way to go is just going to have to do the factory shocks and see what I can do with these uh, road kings. It's all I've got right now. Why don't you pull up? Why don't you send okay. them back to King Shock in California and let them rebuild them? King? K-I-N-G? Yeah, it, 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 yeah the company still exists. They just got out of the heavy truck market. 
I didn't know that. I, I, I think. You know, the guy I that, shouldn't say the that, guy but that, I, I think that's the The case. guy that had them that was in Montrose, Colorado, he didn't build them. He just sold them. So, right. yeah. But now when you contact King, when you contact King, uh, we had several phone calls into them. And you'll get very frustrated, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. You know, and I call a company. I'm, I'm trying to deal with the marine company right now. I've left them four messages. And now I'm going to drive to their office because it pissed me off so much. They won't, they won't even return a simple call. Yeah. What city are they in in California? What's that? What city are they in, do you know? Somewhere in the southern part, but I I don't know exactly where. Okay. Okay. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to... You know, Kevin, on returning returning phone calls... uh, being I'm out of the office a lot, I always try to get back to the people either that night or the next day. Now, if sometime, like I'm going to be on a cruise from February 9th to February 18th with my two older sisters, and there won't be any return calls then, but uh, we always try to get all the calls returned. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big thing. Really is. Uh, I'm dealing with that now. I have a couple projects I need to move on to the next step, and I'm I'm having a hard time getting a hold of some people. Um, let's uh, let's grab some more calls. They're still coming in. We're gonna head north of the border this time to Alberta. Ben, welcome to the program. Ben, you there? Anybody? This is the fellow that had the Mac that we did the exhaust system on. I sent you the pictures. Yeah. I, I'm going to put him back in and the queue because I'm not sure. On an old, yeah. Not sure what's going on, on there. Older not sure what's going on. On a quarter B cat. Oh, well, we just. Uh, think we. Oh, no, we didn't lose the call. Um, Angie, if you could. Um, oh, she's already got him in the screening room. She's checking. So I'm going to take this other call while we try to figure that out. Uh, Andrew in California, it's your turn. Hey, guys, I just got something quick on those King shocks you were talking about. I do a lot of off-road racing and deal with King quite a bit. King shocks will repair or resell you any shocks. I have King shocks on my car hauler, and uh, I don't you can't do it without them because I'm so serious. I'll have you all the time, you know? And who is the company that will rebuild them? King Shocks in Southern California. They'll rebuild them, refurbish them, replace whatever needs to be replaced, and send them back. And their turnaround is fairly quick. So oh, good. what I do is I keep a, a, I keep a spare set of shot, you know, factory cheap shots in my garage just to throw them on while they're rebuilding them. Yeah. Okay. You know, they're... No one knows. No one knows. I mean, the turnaround is like, last time I had them done... They did it in a week. Okay. If I remember correctly. That's good. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that's all. I mean, you sort of hit the nail on the head when you were talking about King Shocks and stuff. And at first, I think you said you were uh, frustrated with them, but maybe because uh, when I call down there to get a, a order uh, rebuild, they just give me a number. I box it up, put the number on the box, and they keep all your stuff in the system. So it's, it's for me, it's been seamless. Good, good. 
Well, that's good to know. If and people also have the shocks, they, they can keep them. If they, this last caller, I'm sure he'd be fine with sending him in and getting him rebuilt. Sounds like he really, really wants him. Yeah, that's the best, that's the best bet to do it. And it's super, super easy to come back. Um, a lot of times they have to replace the shafts, but for obvious reasons, you know, the motion just kind of tires them up a little bit. That's why they start leaking. Um, but once they start doing that, they just replace, replace them like brand new. Good. Good. And it just, and it did, I asked, I asked him about the Road King stuff. This was some years ago when Road King went out and he said, yeah, because they did weren't handling stuff very well over there. He says, however, he goes, we still build all the shocks for any heavy duty on road, uh, uh, truck out there. So thirty they're already out looking for King shocks and we can't find it. Call them. They'll help you out. Okay. Perfect. Good. And that's all I had. Just still guys in on that. All right. Thanks for the call. Great stuff. Um, looks like uh, we lost Ben. We weren't able to get that call. As of right now, we're out of calls. We'll take a couple minutes here and see what anybody wants to wrap up with. And if a call comes in in the next 30 seconds, we'll take it. Uh, anybody have anything they want to go back over or close with? I do not. All right. Mm. Yeah, no. Nuclear cars, bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll circle back to that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know where that came from. Yeah. We'll, we'll circle back to that we'll, one. We'll, we'll go around back to that. Yeah. yeah. Every time uh, that girl would say that on a bullshit. I know. I, mean, I know. I had to say that. Uh, although right, well, she couldn't although, take it any longer either, so although, she quit. Right? Uh, although redhead quit. I, I I have to say I wish we had Peppermint Patty back. That's who she reminded me of. Doesn't she look exactly like Peppermint Patty? Who was Peppermint Patty on From, the Peanuts? Charlie Brown, Peppermint what? Patty, Charlie Brown. She looks just uh, like her. Remember it, Leroy? No, I had cable. I don't know. I didn't watch <laughs> whatever was on. Well, I watched for Leroy. We could forget how young he is. Exactly. It's probably, but it's still. I would, I, it's still on. I mean, we watched the, the originals, but they're in reruns every year. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. I've a childhood, go, I guess. I've seen them, but like once. Go, go get a picture. Very good. Go, go look up images of Peppermint Patty and what was her name anyway? Um, no, I forgot her name. Uh, put them side by side. You'll swear that whoever drew the cartoon was looking at her when, but I would give anything to have her back over Corinne Jean-Pierre. She makes me insane. <laughs> oh, that's Peppermint Patty. Yeah. Oh. See? Same hair. Yeah, looks just like her. Biden. Okay. He said Peppermint Patty. I thought of the Wendy's girl. Oh, okay. Okay. But, you know, they're they're saying two years ago, get used to the new normal. The general public is is getting used to the new normal, which is higher prices on everything. So, yeah. Hey, Leroy, I said Peppermint Patty, not Hamburger Patty. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Close enough. All right, we goofed around long enough that now we have to go take some more calls. So we're going to head off to Pennsylvania. Dale, welcome to the program. 
Hi. A couple of, well, probably about a month ago now, you had a caller call in and said that his airline froze up from the compressor over to the air dryer because the airline yeah. is running out in front of the radiator. Well, I had that happen to me just before Christmas in Chicago. And uh, when I got back to my shop, I asked them about running the line behind the engine and going over to the air dryer. They called out to Freightliner, and Freightliner told them that that was a bad idea because your air would be too hot going into the air dryer, and the moisture would not be getting taken out of the uh, air then. It ended up that the, um, my uh, heater on the air dryer was not working, and that's what actually froze up. All the older trucks that I know of, um, it came out of the air compressor, went back into the first air tank, and I never saw an airline go across the front. Yeah, Freightliner does that on this Cascadia anyway. It's up in front of the uh, front of the radiator between the uh, bumper and the and the hood. Wow, wow! Have you ever seen that, Pete? I do not recall seeing that. No, I'll have to look. Next time we get some newer Cascadias in, walk out in the shop and look and see how that is, and take some pictures of it. I'd like to see it. I can do that. All right. Okay. Um, I guess that's all I got. Okay, we're going to move along because all of a sudden everybody woke up and started dialing. Let's go to Alberta. Ben, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin, Bruce, Ethan, and Hello, Ben. What's on your mind today? Yes, how are you guys doing? Good. Hey, Good. Um, I heard you guys talking about uh, that, uh, what, what did he say? The, uh, the, not sure who was calling in, but he was talking about gases uh, for energy producing, and I was thinking about emissions farming. Uh, there's a, a friend of mine that works for a company that started 10 years ago, and they're they're booming right now, fairly, fairly, fairly big, you know. And uh, the way it works is it takes the exhaust out of the tractor, and it plumbs it all the way back and it puts it back into the ground. And the first thing I was thinking about was back pressure on the engine. How is the how fuel efficient is the tractor after that system has been installed? And how, there, so you're after, talking about a farm tractor? Yes. And their answer was, it's actually more fuel efficient, but since Bruce, I've, I've heard you talking about back pressure, uh, I, uh, that was my first question. How that gets plumbed uh, six inch back and I'm sure it reduces down Going to each opener, I'm sure down to two inch or something, two and a half. And I'm sure there's quite a bit of backpacking. So is this stuck down in the ground like whenever you're plowing the ground? Yes. It's putting the exhaust back into the ground and plowing it back into the ground, the exhaust from the engine. And they're saying 
there's there's no need for no fertilizer. Like usually they put synthetic fertilizer in the ground, uh, all the industrial farms. But the way this works, it doesn't need synthetic fertilizers. What? Kevin, I'm sure you might might have read about it. I haven't. This is the way I, this I'm, is. I'm really confused at how we get away with just putting exhaust into the soil and then thinking we don't need fertilizer? Hey, Leroy, jump in with your yes. uh, your chemistry here. One of the things, one of the artificial fertilizers we use to make things grow big and green is nitrogen. Are we getting nitrogen out of our exhaust? Yeah. Yeah, so actually, if you had an after-treatment system, it does its best to break down uh, NOx, which is either a combination of NO and uh, NO2. It tries to break that down into just N2, which is just naturally found in the uh, atmosphere. And if it's so, not uh, an after-treatment engine, you're still getting N2 out, um, just not a lot. You're getting more NOx than anything, and I don't know how uh, just NO2 or just NO works. As far as a fertilizer, I don't know any of that, but so I yeah, you do get some of it back out. I might need some help from somebody who understands conventional farming more than I do. I understand regenerative, but in conventional farming, isn't it NPK? Aren't those the three? Yes, it's NPK, right? So it, it's, that's it's nitrogen, three, phosphorus. Three main ingredients. Yeah, what's, there's yeah NPK. You said it's nitrogen. Phosphorus and potassium, those are the three main ones that you need. But for a healthy plant, you actually need, I think there's 20 or something. Oh, well, wait a minute. For for a healthy plant, we need a lot of stuff. I mean, regenerative farming depends on tons of minerals in the soil and micronutrients and bacteria and all kinds of things to make a healthy plant and keep healthy soil. When we start using NPK to grow plants, we can grow big plants really fast. That's why we do it. But it destroys the soil. Now the plant has no immune system because it doesn't have any of those minerals and micronutrients it needs. So now it gets attacked by bugs. So we have to spray it with insecticides. It gets uh, attacked by fungi and we have to give it fungicides and the weeds can grow like crazy and take over in that soil. So now we have to put weed killers and glyphosate in there. That's what why traditional farm or not traditional industrial farming is so dangerous and so bad for our planet and bad for our health. None of those micronutrients that used to be in the soil make it into our food and we've destroyed the soil and we've destroyed the plant. It has no immune system. So now we have to put on all these other chemicals that are killing us. That's right. But I am wondering uh, I'm not sure if Leroy could, uh, if, if, if he's read up on about it, but what uh, the ratios are on NPK in the exhaust of a that, diesel engine. That's well, what I'm wondering. Like, I, I can't believe we're getting enough nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium out of a diesel exhaust to grow plants. That seems insane. Well, it's happening because a friend of mine is working for this company. And this huh. company is probably 30 miles west from where we're at. 
and it started 10 years ago, and right now it's just booming. There's more and more guys installing those. I should probably post a picture of a tractor that's got a, a, a system mounted to it and installed. Hey. And the exhaust is basically plumbed back. Uh, there's, a, there's a liquid sprayed into the exhaust uh, once it's coming out of the tractor. That it's kind of, I'm not sure of the product name, but that I guess it's making more available to the to the plants or something. That liquid, and it's spraying it into the exhaust, and the exhaust is plumbed back, and it's blowing it into the ground. But so I got a question about the diesel engine. That's what I'm thinking. The Ben, Ben, how can it go into the ground if you're not plowing? Let's say you're. Let's say you're harrowing or cultivating or just driving this tractor and you're going over hard ground. Is this pipe buried down into the ground and is it cutting a trough? Yes. Well, it's putting the seed in, in front of it, and then the pipe is coming behind the seed and it's, it's in the ground, I'd say, about half an inch. And, and it's opening up the soil or the ground. Well, email me some information on this. I'd like to read. I'd like to see this. I'd like somebody to do some homework on this. I'd like to know. Bioactive. B-I-O-A-C-T-I-V-E is the company name, and the guy's name is Gary Lewis is the the owner of the company. He's I actually know him pretty good. I've I've talked to him on shows and stuff like that. Okay. But I figured I would mention it uh, since you know you talk about engines and back pressure, and Kevin knows a lot about uh, fertilizers and <laughs> the, stuff like that. <laughs> this sounds like a bad idea all the way around. I I can't see anything positive out of this practice at all. But he's got pictures. Uh, where where they're seeding side by side with this, but I'm wondering about long term is what I'm thinking. How would would this stand up long term, um, like for future? Well, here's what uh, I don't understand. This, this, we we talk about how dangerous tailpipe emissions are. And we want to go to electric and we got to get rid of all these damn tailpipe emissions. And we have a company that's injecting this into where our food is growing. That just sounds awful. It does. But I've just heard my friend talk about how they're booming and they're getting busier and busier. And Well, it wouldn't surprise me. Curious about Yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise well, ben, me. You, ben, send me the information and I'll share it with Kevin. Okay, I'll try and get some pictures too, and then from, yeah, from yeah, but my friend Todd, and then I, I'll email you everything, and then perfect, there. perfect. All right, All right thanks so let's for that. talk about that four and a quarter B, oh. that four and a quarter B cat in that hold international. On. What are you doing hold, with hold, it now? Hold on, Bruce. I had to get rid of him. The calls are. I, I don't know what happened. Um, we were ready to quit for the day, and I, I think we're out of phone lines right now. So we've got to start knocking out some calls here. Oh. We're going to go to Illinois. Okay. Rob, welcome to the program. Yes, sir. I got a question about a tune for uh, a pack car engine, a 22 uh, pack car. 
when you when you create tunes, how far back are you on um, the years? I mean, so when a twenty three comes out, do they they take a little while to create the tune, right? Um, not usually. Like uh, we can do, you know, twenty three uh, Cummins Detroit engines. Uh, that's not really that big of an issue, but with yours, you said it's a 22 Packard, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, so we don't actually have any tooling to be able to uh, read and write that engine. So even if we had the ability to do it, uh, you know, knowledge-wise, we just don't have the tooling to be able to do it. The newest Packard that we can do is uh, 2016. So until we have some tooling to be able to do ones, the new ones, can't do anything with them. I I had heard in the past you talk about that, and I thought I'd specifically ask that. So, yeah. All right. Uh, enable that. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Let's go to South Carolina. Terrence, welcome to the program. What's up, Kevin? What's on your mind? I just want to thank the guys at Pittsburgh Parliament. I just want to thank you guys at Pittsburgh Pile about all the knowledge that I'm learning, you learn going down the road. Well, uh, real quick, I, I got two things. I got one on ammonia and, and one on CNG. I worked for this company, used to work for this company in Wisconsin, CNG, and uh, we had them. We ran like from uh, Franksville, Wisconsin, which was just basically over the line from Illinois, and we did, we hauled beer. We'd go down to Illinois, Indiana. It worked out great for him. I mean, the, the, the range was, was like 300 miles, so if you did, were doing two a day, you would have to fuel twice. But it was true, the, 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 uh, the maintenance on us was expensive, but he killed when the fuel prices were fluctuating, he would buy in bulk. So whatever he was getting, you know, paying for fuel, he would buy at a different price. And the other thing so, to that, what he was, was able to do, too, is he had fuel surcharge. So we, are Even we, though he wasn't running diesel. So we're talking about propane, right? No, no, compressed natural gas, CNG. Okay. Because there's two different kinds. There's the, there's the, 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 the LNG, right. the one with the, that UPS liquefied uses. Liquefied natural gas, and then right. the, this was Yeah, yeah liquefied. That, that's it, yeah. And then this was compressed CNG. There was a, uh, a company up there called Quick Trip and U.S. Gain. They had, they had stations all over and we, Wisconsin. See, so, we'd, you know, we'd run up to Green Bay. It worked out great for him, but I'm saying, but, like you said, the maintenance on it was unbelievable. But here's weather, the, weather, weather, uh, here, here's something else we have to look at. And, and I don't know if he had these numbers or not. I've looked at them, and it almost never works. Now, occasionally, these fuel prices drop down low enough. But for the most part, one of the mistakes that they make when they calculate this is only calculating the rough cost, not the cost per mile. That fuel gets, even though the fuel is cheaper per gallon, you get fewer miles per gallon because there's a lot less BTUs in it. it. It's similar to when I tested propane, my fuel economy went up. And everybody said, oh, look, it works. Your fuel economy went up. Went up fairly significantly. But that's because we added another fuel. And we had another to go back fuel. in and calculate yep. <laughs> the cost. And even though my fuel economy improved, my fuel cost got worse. Even though propane yep. was significantly yeah. cheaper than diesel, it was still technically more expensive per mile. And then the maintenance cost on well, top of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And these were Cummins mode. These were Cummins. Uh, it, yeah, they almost Cummins all were. CNGs. Right. 
But um, but he what he did with the thing I also think too is obviously he got a big grant from you know from that's, obviously the government that, to do it. That, he made he made it work. Well, he made it work because he watched his numbers. But like I said, he it, just it, it's it's well, it, the, the amount of work and 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 the troubleshooting one. Well, and and, and my point is, if you made it work, but only because there was mm-hmm. some sort of government subsidy, then in my opinion, it didn't work. Oh no! Yeah, no, that's not why. But he, yeah. like I said, that's not why he worked. He, that just helped him along. Right. He just he was able to, you know, keep his costs down and all that. But but uh, it, it it worked for that short for that short haul. And he's still using them. I still talk to him. But uh, anyway, here's about ammonia. That'll never work because I used to work at an ice cream factory in Staten Island, and they had the old refrigeration where they used ammonia. Oh, yeah, right. And let me tell you something: when that shit leaks, <laughs> <laughs> it's nasty. We would get. Uh, listen. It, nasty isn't the word. They had one time they had a leak. The fire obviously, you know, we had protocol for it. I worked inside the freezer. People were getting pulled. We were pulling people out of the plants because that's where the leak came from. Was foaming out of the mouth. We were dragging them out because we yeah. come out from the cold. We, you know, see, see we. It, I mean, it's that'll that'll never work. And it's like there's no way you can carry that around and mix that with something. I, I don't see it. I mean, I, I agree. I don't see it at all. I agree. All right. We're going to keep moving on. We've got to knock out some calls here. We're going to go to Wisconsin. Abe, welcome to the program. Yes, good afternoon. What's on your mind today? Reason reason I called is uh, I ended up getting my rear end replaced over Christmas and, and uh, didn't ver- verify with the shop what oil they would put back into it. I always ran 7590 synthetic in it and also at the same time had them change the oil and and the front diff because i was coming up on 475,000 anyway so i have new oil in both of them and come to find out they put 75140 in it i'm curious whether whether it would be cost effective to drain that and then replace it that's still synthetic according I know I, it never even occurred to me to to verify. It. I, I wouldn't just, have either. I, I just I always ran seventy five. Seventy five ninety is such yeah. a standard that I would never think about exactly. questioning it. We've even experimented playing around going lighter than that. Um, in the transmission, yep. it would be easier. In the differentials, the oil requirements in the differential is significantly different. There's a, a lot of pressure. And that you, now that you mentioned it. Now that you mentioned the transmission, I had them change that as well because it had the same amount of miles on it. And I noticed they did put a, a 40 weight in it versus a yeah. 50 that I'm used to, which I don't think it hurt. It's easier to go to a lighter weight in the transmission. You don't have the same um, pressure and torque mm-hmm. requirements. But to go to a 140, that it's the opposite of what everybody's experimenting with. Everybody's pushing lighter exactly. oils, not... A heavier oil, <sighs> boy. I, what? What? Now the, um, the lower number is still seventy-five, right? And it says synthetic. <sighs> yeah, but it's still that. It, it's the second number it. that's more important. The second number tells us really the weight of the oil itself. Um, mm-hmm. Boy, I've never heard of this. Anybody else, Pete? Any? Have you guys ever even seen one forty? I have not. Um, we don't keep it in stock. I know that. 
Yeah, I've never even seen it. I don't know why somebody would think to put this in differentials. How much did they charge you to do it the first time? Uh, well, what do you mean the first time? I well, just, see, while while I had the, the rear end replaced, I just had them. Put oh, new oh, oh, I see. So we, yeah, I guess you'd have to ask them how yeah, much. That's, a re- that's or, a whole reason. That's. Wait. That's the whole reason I, I did it. And while they Wait. charged me 480 bucks for the oil. Yeah, it's it, it's expensive. For two buckets. There, there, yeah, there's no doubt it's expensive oil. If you were going to do it, I would say do it yourself. Unless you can get yeah, them. Yeah, and to I'm just, going to. I'm just, yeah. is, it, is, it, is it worth spending the, the 500 bucks so, to replace it since it's new? I, I think so. I hate that you have to spend the 500 bucks. But if we think about it, you're going to leave that in there for a half a million miles. Exactly. Exactly. So it is worth I guess, it. I guess there's a, it's a price of intuition, I guess. Like I should have verified. Ahead well, of time. I, you know, don't beat yourself up over that. I would have never asked. <laughs> exactly. It's such a standard thing. How I found thing. out. Oh, I found out. Was that on they the gave report? me. They gave me the bucket that had the little <laughs> bit left in it yeah. from the second bucket in case I needed to add. Where I was going at with this is if it was on a receipt, maybe verify it wasn't a typo. Well, I have the I have the actual bucket yeah, that he's they, got that the oil. left over from the from the ten gallons. Yeah, I thought maybe it was just written on the receipt and it could have been a typo and maybe it's not what you think it is. I'd have verified that. I would change it. I had a feeling. I had a feeling that was the best way to go. I just hated to spend that I know. 500 bucks. I know. That's, um, I, I, I guess a lesson learned, although in, in you know 30-some years of doing this, the first time I've heard of it. Mm-hmm. I I just thought it was so common myself seventy five ninety <laughs> right. I didn't even like I said it didn't occur to me right it, what kind anyway, of shop I was gotta this? go I'm fixing the load here is this an independent it's a it's oh. a local it's an independent local yeah, shop that yep. that makes sense all right all right sorry about hey. that um, we'll certainly keep an eye out on that let's go to Pennsylvania Doug welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin, Bruce, Pete, Leroy. Uh, last week you had a caller that uh, was having a problem where his brakes on his tractor and his trailer would lock up periodically, but only when he was hooked to a trailer. Uh, do you remember if he said that it was one trailer or any trailer? Trailer, it was any trailer. trailer. Yeah, it was not a specific trailer. Okay, because I was thinking if it was a specific trailer, there's a very easy way to check if the problem is with the tractor or the trailer. With the brakes energized, in other words, with the trailer brakes released, pull the blue line off. And if you've got bad valves on the trailer, it will backfeed through the blue line, and you'll feel the airflow coming out of the glad hand. But if it's any trailer, uh, he's looking probably at tractor protection valve, possibly his brake valve, his foot valve. 
trolley valve. He could be looking at a major mess. And on that note, that's all I've got, so I'll step aside so you can get to any more callers. All right. Thanks for that. Uh, I don't think we've heard any uh, resolution on that. Hopefully, when we figure out something, that guy will call back. Let's go to Texas. Dwight, welcome to the program. Uh, Yes. Earlier, Bruce was talking about that there was a a camshaft that they would put in a motor and... I have an ISX, it's a 2003 model, and I had it rebuilt, and since then, and it was an outer frame, and so his new block, new cam, is a lot of, is pretty extensive. So, I, in a, in a, especially in a cold mode morning, you talk about a lope, I, you, you know, people look at me from all over the parking lot, because I've they like I got a darn drag racer there. Um, plus, I also have straight pipes, dual straight pipes, and the truck's loud anyway. But I've been—I was gonna call y'all and ask: Do you think that problem was had something to do with the fuel? I'm not getting steady fuel or a throttle body. But maybe he put a different camshaft in this truck. What what is your thoughts? Because it's got a man, it's got a lope like you wouldn't believe. I th- Leroy, I think that's in the ECM, is it not? In an ISX two thousand three. That could be the fuel mod or the fuel um, solenoids to make it lope. Yeah. Is it just when it's cold or? Mainly when it's cold. Uh, you know, you know, it's got a it's got a little bit always, but. When it's cold, it's it's a major, major. Yeah. Um, things that would make it lope would be, um, obviously, like Bruce said, something with the ECM as far as uh, drivers to the actuators. Uh, that could also be wiring. could be a bad sensor readings because if it gets too much timing, uh, like if there's a sensor value that's off, like it's outside air temperature or the coolant temperature is off, then it's going to change the timing, which I have messed with because I've had them lope here in the parking lot. And if it's cold outside and there's too much, then they lope. Um, it's like when there's too much, it, the power created makes the engine rev and then it comes back down and then it just kind of does this sinusoidal just lope. Um, but most of the time we just see like air in the fuel uh we'll make them lope uh, like that um uh, we had one here that had a loping issue and we've done all the tests that cummins gives you but it's, it's just something we ended up just we had like a used ifsm like the whole unit is housing check valves uh sensors everything we ended up just moving the whole thing over onto this truck and that cleared that whole loop so i think bottom line i think Either it's either your ECM or, or it's something in that IFSM uh, that is causing your lobe. ISM? Uh, yeah, I think it's IFSM. Uh, I think it's Integrated Fuel System Management, something like that. Well, since it's not throwing a code, is that. Um, would that be something you could pick up on? 
through a remote tune or um it's pretty hard they don't give a lot of data on that old engine um we can just sort of like i said see if all the sensors are reading correctly we could do that remotely um but any probably any further than that yeah it's going to be just down to fuel system diagnostics okay well maybe i'll check to see if there's air in the fuel because you know it's it's mainly in the morning and of course after the truck is set so maybe it could be air in the fuel i could check that and I've thought about getting a fast. That'd be an expensive way to find out if the if that's a problem. But uh, it's not really expensive way because it's going to give you a better pulling, smoother running engine, and it may give you a little bit of fuel mileage. So I wouldn't look at it as, as an expensive way to find out. Well, I um, and I might try that. Um, I've got a Volvo, and I'm. There's not a lot of room under that hood. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure there's plenty of people that's shoe spoon to men. Do y'all put many in the Volvos? Yeah, I'm putting one V V N L. Yeah, we'll put them on anything. We just got to find a spot for them. Sometimes we try to put them on the driver's side when we can, but there are times we have to put them on the passenger side just because of room. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll try to do a few things, and if I can't make some progress local, uh, uh, unfortunately, I'm in Texas, uh, and I don't have a whole lot of whole lot of options, and uh, and uh, nothing, uh, nothing not to be offensive, but I've got a steady, dedicated run here, and I've been doing it for over a year, and I, I hope I'm doing it in another year, but so I can't get to get can't get to y'all, but we could do a remote tune and maybe take a peek. So, yeah. All righty. Well, I, right. I appreciate the info, and I'll I'll try to work on that. All right. All right. Hey, uh, we're out of calls. I do have some interesting information here. Listen to this. Um, Joel went into our fuel gauges database. Um, I haven't checked in a while. I think we have over 6 million fuel tickets in there and about 100,000 trucks. And he did an interesting little test. Now, we actually have our programming team working on doing more of these, building these searches and comparisons ahead of time so we can just click on a button and see this. Um, but Joel went in and did the work. He took all of the 2022 trucks that are in the system. He filtered them by they had to have at least 50 fuel ups. So that's a, a, a good number. We know we're getting, you know, plenty of fuel ups to get good, accurate data. And the only criteria that he separated trucks by was the engine manufacturer. And then he pulled out the average fuel economies for the 2022 trucks. I am shocked by the number. I am absolutely shocked. Listen to these numbers. Volvo. 7.492. That's the average fuel economy on in, in fuel gauges of all the 2022 Volvos that have at least 50 fuel ups recorded. So Volvo, 7.492. Detroit, 
Pack Car, 6.85. Cummins, 5.94. That's a telling wow. number. It's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I'm shocked. I would have never guessed the difference would have been that big. No, I would never guess that either. So basically at today's fuel cost, if I just run some basic math on 100,000 miles, um, the Detroit is going to cost you, oh, holy cow, seven or $8,000 more in fuel cost over the Volvo. The pack car's right there. We're only a couple tenths off on the pack car. Cummins drops all the way down to 5.94. We're looking at, you know, ten to $15,000 difference in fuel cost on a Cummins. Yeah. I a don't year. Know. Everyone that we talk to is way higher than that, so. Get them on fuel gauges then. So we can pull the average up if that's the case, because all the people you're talking to must not be on fuel gauges. I mean, that that's... Uh, that's a significant number. And, you know, to, to use the criteria, they have to have at least 50 fuel ups. Um, that's, so, like I said, we, we've got our programmers working on more comparisons like this. One of the things we want to do now that we have that much data in there is start using it. I'd like to see one of them I have them working on. I want to see the average fuel economy for every truck by month. So we can see which months have the biggest impact on fuel economy because of weather. And I mean, it seems simple, but you have to go in and you got to take out all the outliers and you got to, you know, we have trucks in there that people put in debt and it looks like they're getting 110 miles to the gallon because they put it in wrong and then they just leave it there. So, I mean, we have to go in and do a lot of data cleanup and a lot of programming, but these are the kind of numbers now that we have so many fuel tickets in there, I want to start looking at. Yeah, for sure. All right. Interesting to break it down by type of well. Yeah. You know what? Because you can only get a Volvo in an air truck. You can get a right. That's a good point. Yep. That's a good point. See those. But even that, you know, always comes back to what I talk about. Why? Why do we own unaerodynamic trucks when you look at the cost of them? I mean, it's just never made sense to me. I know people love them, but man. If I'm going to go out and work that hard, I, I hate to give that extra profit to the oil companies. And that's what you're doing. I mean, there was profit there, but it's not your profit. You had to give it to the oil company. You went out and did the work to move the freight, but because you chose a non-aerodynamic truck, you need to send some of your profit to the oil company. People should look at it that way. Because that's what happened. You could have made more money to move that freight. If you didn't have to spend so much on fuel. So this is a pretty, pretty important number. We're going to keep working on that. Um, thanks to Joel for getting in there and crunching those numbers. And it's actually takes some time. Um, that's why we're trying to work on a better system for that. Uh, another call snuck in. So let, let's grab it. We can come back to this in a second. Um, Lewis in Tennessee. Go ahead. Yes, sir. How you doing, Mr. Kevin? And how you doing? Uh, Pittsburgh Power. We're wonderful. Good. All right. All right. I have a, a Peterbilt glider, a 579. I have been up in um, Pittsburgh Power several times, a few times. 
Uh, matter of fact, Bruce sat in my truck one day and was like, man, this is a nice truck. Um, anyway, it is a 579 glider. Uh, yesterday, my left headlight said the headlight was out. Took it to the shop. Well, I, I tried to change the bulb changed the bulb size. The bulb was good. Everything was good on it. Didn't have any fire going to the headlight on the low beam. Anyway, I took it to the Peterbilt dealership. Well, the dealership says that it needs a chassis harness for the truck. They're quoting me a price for a chassis harness where this is labor and all of $12,000. I'm trying to scratch my head. $12,000 for one headlight being out. I know there's more to it than that with the chassis harness, of course. I understand that there's more to it than that, but $12,000 yeah, I had a similar case. Leroy, what would you do? Hey, hey, Lewis, I'll jump in. I, um, I, I just, for Christmas, my business partner, Aaron, got me these really cool tactical flashlights. Just tape a couple of those up on the bumper. <laughs> you'll be fine. <laughs> hey, they'll mess with my aerodynamics. Uh, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Maybe we need a better idea than that. So, Leroy, what would you do on this? Um... So you just got one headlight out and the other one works perfect, right? Yes. Every light on the truck works perfectly. Everything's working fine. And they're saying there's something wrong with the harness from the chassis node to uh, that one headlight. Uh, yes. Well, I mean, there's only a few wires that go over there. So you could just run a new har- uh, harness of wires from the chassis node, wherever it comes out of, and then go over to your headlight. I have seen some people, I don't recommend this, is just wire the good headlight into the bad headlight. <laughs> they just jump it across. Um, I mean, that would just get you going. But um, Or you could use some sort of diagnostics. I don't know. If, I try to use one of those uh, wire finders that like electricians use to fire brakes and wires. You might be able to put that on there and find if it's like a zip tie that's crushing a wire or something. Um, but yeah, if I if it was here... I would figure out which wire or which wires uh, are broken and then just either replace that section or replace the whole lot of wires. Hmm. All right. uh, Question. If I get it up there to you all, how long would y'all need with it? Well, I know, of course, you don't know you haven't touched the truck yet, so... Yeah, that's a pretty hard one to say how long we would need, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't think more than just a couple of days. Okay. Well, I think I'm gonna make a call and try to get the truck up there to you all, because this twelve thousand dollars for a headlight is kind of <laughs> kind of steep for me, man. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I'd be running a new wire. Yeah. <clears throat> New wire and wire ties. Yeah, that, I was going to say, it reminds me of a story I had a few weeks ago where uh, it was a truck with an ABS issue, and I just needed a connector. The connector was broke, 
and I asked our parts guy, I was like, Hey, can we just get a new connector? I can't find any online. I don't know who makes this or if it's just Kenworth getting made for them. And he's like, no, I can't say the connector, but I can say the whole harness for, you know, three grand or something like that. <laughs> it's like, I need one, one connector. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. I was like, I have uh, the other. I just need one 50 cent connector. That's right. all I need. I don't need the whole thing. Somebody makes grand. it that, somewhere. I mean, so what did you do, Leroy? Well, we ended up just taking that connector off and then just using uh, sort of a generic two-pin connector on both sides. So, so you made a connector. You MacGyver. You yeah, took a generic did. connector and, 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 and well, you eliminated the Kenworth connector and you put a, a connector on it. Yeah, and the eyes of the How many wires were in this connector? Two. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. All righty, so there if you I go. call up there to the shop, uh, who do I need to uh, call and speak with? I need to speak to Eric. Eric or Pete? Right and tell him you need to get into the electrical department, not the mechanical department. All righty. I will be making a call in a few minutes. Perfect. All right. All right. Thanks for the call. We're going to wrap this up today. It's been a good day. Thanks for all the calls. Great information. Thanks to the team from Pittsburgh Power for doing the heavy lifting. Um, And we'll see you again next week. I will be back tomorrow for Destination Health. Um, We have a great guest coming back, Dr. William Davis. he wrote Wheat Belly. He developed all the yogurt we've been working on for years. He's got a lot of great stuff going on. So we'll be talking to him tomorrow on Destination Health. You don't want to miss it. We'll see you then. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.